Off the ball. If there was an Ireland job in the future, so I don't know, I think Brendan Rogers as a future Ireland's manager, I, I could get behind Subscribe this. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. You're very welcome along to Off the Ball AM. Uh, we are here all the way through until 10. If you want to get in touch with us, you can get us on 087-9180-180. That's the WhatsApp number. Or, of course, you can always get us uh, on youtube.com forward slash off the ball. I'm getting uh, dagger eyes there from Colm. Whoa. It's like a bomb went off. Colm, good morning to you, but you're not actually here, so you can't, no one can hear you. He's waving through the glass. Mm. Shane, how are you? How are things? Good morning. Kathleen's here as well. Kathleen, how are you? Morning, morning. I'm good. So, officially the nerves. I, I'm going to let you be nervous from this point forward, Kathleen. Oh, thank you. You're so it was, kind. It was too early. <laughs> it was too early. You were like a kid six weeks out from Christmas getting very excited about what Santa was bringing. But Santa's officially <laughs> starting the visit tonight with Ireland against Zambia. This is properly the kickoff of the World Cup. Yeah, it is. Well, for me, it probably felt like I started with the announcement of that first provisional squad. But tonight is the first time we get to see players in the pitch. We get to see, you know, what Vera is going for. She said yesterday in her press conference that it's kind of for the players who maybe haven't had a lot of minutes or the players who are looking to prove something. It's not necessarily for your Katie McCabe's um, who, like, she's probably not playing tonight anyways, according to Vera yesterday, because she only came into the squad on Monday. But tonight is a night for your Leanne Kiernans and stuff to prove what they can do. Uh, there was a little 11 v 11 open training session last Friday that uh, we were able to attend. Was there 1,500 people at it? Yeah. That was the one in UCD? Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was a fairly amazing thing that um, I saw a photograph of it. I was like, that's... Uh, people got tickets who were... I don't know what the what the allocation was, but it was taken up immediately. Yeah, I think it was mainly to like just by looking at the crowd, like it was quite young, so it was mainly to clubs and schools that the tickets were gone to. But like fair play to the FBI, they actually did put on a really good show. You know, like there was a DJ there. They had the little activity book that they've put out around the World Cup. They were handing those out. They had little autograph books for all the kids that were there, so that after the match and after the training session, um, the kids lined up around the pitch and the team went around the entire pitch and signed as many things as they could. We didn't speak about the activity book, but it's an incredible initiative where it's encouraging kids to go to their local libraries and pick up a free World Cup activity book, which has like uh, fact files and uh, colouring and... As far as I know, it's in every library. Certainly if you ring your local library, there's a, a chance to go down and pick them up and they're free. And it's one of those initiatives that's like uh, promoting sport and reading. And you're like, oh, this is a very good idea. Yeah, and I think there's a digital version of it as well because I <laughs> I was doing a podcast with uh, an Australian podcast yesterday who wanted to see, you know, what what are Ireland's thinking no about secrets? Us? You didn't get any secrets? No, no, no. All the state secrets remained. It's actually my... I did another one this morning so the Australians are very keen to hear Jeez. what we were thinking at the moment. Actually, we want to keep the ball kicked out to you at all. <laughs> but uh, the podcast... You can use your hands, can't you? <laughs> the podcast recording was delayed by five minutes because one of them was really enjoying the crossword and the word search. That's <laughs> the activity book so you know it's not it's not just for kids mm. uh, the sticker book's out as well isn't it the, the official yeah, or is there an official World Cup sticker if book if anyone has found one of these can they please tell me where they found them because I have searched high and low across Dublin and I cannot find them and I've asked my parents and, and like family in various parts of the country if they see one to pick one up but uh, they're like gold dust that's so. the best part of the World Cup I know I want to start collecting my stickers and getting excited although I suppose it's a bit weird being out so early because a lot of the squads aren't really set yet so 
it'll be interesting who who is there for the Irish ones. Um, but yeah, sorry, what I was saying was that at the 11 v 11 last week, Leanne Kiernan was the only person to score. So I'd be very intrigued to see how play, Vera plays her tonight uh, because she definitely is one of those players that needs game time and needs the opportunity to prove herself a little bit. When you say someone needs game time, there's two aspects of that. Somebody needs game time to be in in contention for minutes in the World Cup and then there are some who need game time to prove that they're worthy of their place on the plane. So how big is the squad at the moment? How many people are going to miss out? Uh, so the squad's 31 at the moment but that's not including the four US-based players. So they come in, I think, next Thursday um, and then it has to be brought down to 23. Okay, so 35 down to 23. 12 people are going to be very disappointed. Ugh. That's a tough conversation, isn't it? I mean, naturally enough, but... How do you even engage that conversation? I suppose from Vera's perspective, she's had these discussions before. Mm. Like it's it's never an easy job for a manager. That's like, I suppose what she gets paid for. But yeah, there's a lot of disappointed well, players was, there. Yeah, it was interesting. She was saying when she announced the provisional squad that she made over fifty phone calls in one day, telling people that they either had made it or they hadn't made it. Um, because there are quite a few people there on the wings who maybe thought mm, might get a chance with the provisional squad. Um, and that there was one point where she just had to take a break in the middle of it and just put the phone down and walk away. And she said, like, her husband or someone asked her, was she all right? And she was like, I just, I actually can't talk to anyone else. It, it was quite emotionally taxing. Um, but I think we have a clip as well of her talking about, say, next week when she has to tell the players and how it's tough for her, but it's going to be a lot worse for any of the players who don't get on the plane. Yeah, Jesus, that's... Roll it there, Roisin. <laughs> Email that, text message that. Uh, the first group I had to call, unfortunately, because physically I couldn't go there. But of course, this will be face to face. Yeah. Yeah, there's been written a lot about that because I've said something about that, uh, and it is something that I'm really nervous about. Uh, I think that's all that I should say about it because it's for them so much worse than for me, and. Um, the fact that this is coming up, that gives me sleepless nights. Yeah. It is, but that was also in, in other tournaments. I know that I'm going to break dreams, so that is not a nice feeling. You wouldn't want to be in her shoes next week, you have to say. Mm. At the same time, right, we, we do seem to have quite a bit of doubt about a few positions at least, so there's a lot up for grabs this week, and that's why these games really matter to those people who need the minutes, right? Somebody is going to put in a good performance, and somebody's going to have a mistake or just not be at it, and that'll be the last thing in her mind when she's sitting down and going, you're in, you're out. Yeah, she was asked about that yesterday as well and she was saying because they actually have so much time together as a squad, like obviously tonight is important because it's like competitive minutes and you're not playing against each other, that she's seen a lot from certain players in training that maybe she didn't expect or not, she was like, I didn't expect is the wrong word, but that she was surprised at how much players were putting into everything. It just seems to be like a generally good atmosphere around the squad at the moment. Chloe Mustaki was asked, you know, is there a bit of tension between everyone because obviously you're all vying for the same positions and she was like, to be honest, no, we're such a tight-knit group. Like, we've all been friends and been through so many things together for so long that you just know that next week you're either going to have to, like, take a moment to celebrate the people around you or else take a moment to make sure they're lifted up if they don't get in. But, yeah, like you were saying, I think most people aren't that, like, I think the there not that many people are that confused about the starting eleven. It's kind of past that 
where things go. So that's why tonight will be interesting in terms of positions, who gets on the pitch, who doesn't get on the pitch, um, and what that means for the announcement next week. So it's kind of the last time we get to see them on the pitch. I don't think there's any open training sessions or anything next week ahead of the announcement on Thursday. And then the France game is, when's the France game? It's the sixth. Yeah, it's the following week. And that will be our first team... Most likely, for I would think so. For at least a portion so. of it? Yeah, at least for a portion of it anyways. Um, it's the big send-off. Like, obviously, you don't want to run anyone ragged or risk any mad injuries at that stage, but I reckon it'll be as close to the first team as possible. Yeah, that's the balancing act. You've got to get minutes into them at as high intensity as possible in the kind of the rhythm so that they have, their touch is not like the men's team's touch uh, for the first yeah. for the game. Like, it'll definitely be important for, say, the championship players who've been off for, I think, eight weeks, maybe more, ten weeks now. Whereas the likes like Katie only just finished up, Denise and the American players are still playing at the moment, so they'll be fairly match fit. Um, so definitely for that side, it'll be really important. The choice of Zambia, that's pointedly uh, like Nigeria. This is the same attacking style of play. It seems to be a very much a let's get ready for that game. Yeah, I think so. Like Vera has said all the way along that she chooses her opponents for very specific reasons. Um, Zambia also beat Nigeria last year in AFCON and Nigeria are like... Absolutely. It's like one of three, I think, that they haven't actually won over the years. I think they're nine time champions or something. So they know what they're doing against Nigeria. It'll be. It's hard with these teams because there's actually so little video or so few of the games that are accessible to watch to properly assess the teams. Um, like we did an episode of Quigig where we reviewed all the opponents in the group and I was on Nigeria. And apart from a few international windows where they played the likes of the States and New Zealand where, you know, those federations took it upon themselves to release highlight clips, there was very little about them. Um but it was interesting, Vera said yesterday that Tom Elms in particular, who also worked with the under-16s, he's been concentrated fully on the senior squad the last while. Um, he took the responsibility of like gathering footage and gathering all the information about um, Ni- or Nigeria and Zambia so that the team would be properly prepared. So hopefully they have seen a lot more than I have of this squad, but definitely... I think tonight isn't so much about our opponents or what it prepares us for the World Cup. I really do think it's about the individual players and getting those minutes, whether it's that they haven't had a lot of them or yeah. that they need to prove themselves. Yeah, Chloe Mustaki obviously was doing press yesterday. What was the general tenor from that? Um, she was quite optimistic. She said she was feeling good, that she'd had you know a really good season in terms of Bristol making it up into the uh, WSL and the fact she got a new contract so she's going to be playing in the WSL next year um, and I, I actually asked her a question about whether there was any extra added tes- tension or pressure on tonight because when you think about it this is kind of it's a friendly against Zambia and on a routine day it doesn't mean all that much but it's possibly one of the most important games and definitely the most important one we've played since maybe the playoffs for a lot of players in this team because as you said earlier Jer, it's your final chance um, so I think we have some video of her answering that question and Chloe like obviously tomorrow's technically a friendly but in some ways there's more riding on it for the individual players than, than many other games we've played before how are you approaching that I suppose like mentally in terms of your prep and making sure that you're in the right place to show to be and the rest of the team that you really want to spot on that play? Yeah, probably no different to be honest. Like 
I'm lucky in the sense that I'm playing full time, so I'm kind of used to approaching every game the same way. Um, so yeah, just preparing well, knowing the game plan, and doing the best that we can, I can, on the night, and hopefully that's enough. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously there will be a few changes to the core team um, and we're still only kind of in week two. So we will be a lot more prepared for Australia in a way in terms of our connectivity on the pitch than we will be maybe tomorrow with a few different changes. But that's just the way it is and that's the process you need to go through to make sure that you know your best 11 um, for our game against Australia. Uh, is she going to be first choice when the team is named for the first game of the World Cup? Um, I don't, she's one of the players for me that's still slightly on the edge. I think she'll be on the plane, but I don't know if she'll be in a starting position um, at the World Cup. You can't put her out for a press conference like that and sit beside the manager and then not put her on the plane, right? Like uh, if I was in her shoes, I'd be like, oh, I'm on the plane. <laughs> well, you would think that, that, but also, so the way they have this set up is that we basically get access to nearly every single player. But not in beside the manager. Squad. Well, we at a press conference with the managers talking about breaking hearts. Yeah, not yours. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I know, but also say like uh, they've had someone like Abby Larkin did like the when the World Cup trophy was here and stood beside Vera and chatted to Vera about whether she would have her place on the plane and stuff. There has been quite a lot of these sort of events, and I know it's a week out, so maybe that changes things a little bit. But yeah, I mean. I, I don't know if she'd be a starting player, but she probably would be on the plane for me. Has she got better since going full-time? Yeah, definitely. You can definitely, just even in terms of like agility and her strength on the pitch, you know, she has had an incredibly tough couple of years and I'm sure most people know her story, but she have she gave up a full-time job 12 months ago a very like a, a decent job, you know. She, I think, she halved her salary to go full time with Bristol, who were playing in the championship at the time. They managed to get promoted to the WSL this season. She signed a new contract, uh, and I don't think she would have signed a new contract and gone up to the WSL if this had happened a year ago. Yeah. I think it's a testament to how hard she has worked. And she even said it yesterday. She uh, I, actually, sorry, it was in that clip there that you know, for her, she can even feel the difference in her game. The fact that she is playing consistently at a higher level than she ever was before, and it was one of the best decisions that she made. So, yeah, I think. When you look at the Chloe Mustachi of a year ago and the one that's out on the pitch now, there's a definite difference. And there's even just a confidence in the way she plays that I don't know was there before, possibly because she was on and off the pitch so much. How did Bristol use her? Um, I used her either on the wing or in centre half, so kind of a mixture. Uh, she hasn't really settled on like one particular position in that squad. She's kind of been moved around a little bit because they, they had quite a few injuries this season. And where would Vera prefer to use her? Hard to know. She generally plays a bit higher up the pitch whenever it's with Vera, so I imagine. You wonder does that stand to a player being that versatile? Sometimes it can it can go the other direction, you know. And mm. Vera's making a decision as to who's in the squad. Obviously, it's useful and you could be a utility player if you play in different positions. But also, maybe sometimes it, it's better to be a, a specialist. Yeah, I think with the way the Ireland squad is set up, we generally need players that can do a couple of different things. Mm. Um, we don't have players who play at a high enough level, by and large. Like Obviously, you have your Canadians, your Denises, your goalkeepers who have to play at a certain position. But uh, I think for the rest of the team, it's quite important that you're 
versatile. You look at someone like Megan Connolly. You know, she can play midfield. She can play on the wing. She can play in a back four. It, there's lots of different positions that we've required of players like her over the last few years. So I don't think the versatility thing will be too much of a worry for Vera. OK, we're going to come back to this in 15 minutes. One, one last clip from Chloe Mustaki here talking about her old job and um, going pro. Yeah, it's been a pretty intense 12 months. 12 months ago, I walked away from a full-time job. So a lot has happened. Um, so for me, personally, whatever happens in the next week or so, like I can just be happy and proud with what I've achieved in the past 12 months. Um, but it's been fantastic. And having gone through a bit of a difficult time this season, I'm glad to just be involved at the moment. Um, I'll fight for my place to the last day, of course, but um, I need to remember the bigger picture and I was out for quite a while. So, But no, it's been fantastic. And as I said, I was working a full-time job up until this time last year. So it's been an amazing whirlwind 12 months and that night in Hampton Park, I'll never forget that. So, um, Without a shadow of a doubt, the togetherness. Um, yeah, I don't know, it's in our DNA, I think. And the support that we have for each other is unwavering no matter what. And um, we have such a big age gap between kind of the younger girls and the older girls and you wouldn't even be able to tell. Like everyone's lovely to each other, everyone's supporting each other uh, on the pitch as well. The communication has grown a lot over the past kind of 12 months or 18 months as well. So yeah, it's just, it's great to see. And yeah, well, hopefully, um, Hopefully girls will be able to look past being disappointed potentially next week. But yeah, probably the togetherness. I know you said that people will be familiar with the story. Lots of people won't be familiar. When she was 19, she had Hodgkin's lymphoma and she's now in the last two weeks, I think, um, tweeted that she's uh, an ambassador for breakthrough cancer research. Um, so it's one of those incredible stories where somebody comes back from um, a, a really terrifying condition and later represents Ireland and has also come back from ACLs. Yeah, it's interesting when she talks about the ACLs because she says that that was almost worse than the cancer because it was a first, there was like a acceptance when she had the cancer that there was very specific things she had to do and she didn't, she probably felt worse then whereas there was a frustration that came with the ACLs and a much tougher mental battle. Um, so yeah, it's, and I suppose as well when you've been hit down once and then you get hit down again, the second time is always a lot worse. But uh, I mean, she in that time, she became a pundit for RTE. You know, she got this great job. She really is uh, one of those characters on the Irish team who's in, showed incredible mental strength to get to this place. Yeah, a high achiever. Yeah, there's uh, some good podcasts with her. I think, was it Nathan or Joe did a really good chat with her when she was making her return uh, on the Off the Ball feed. The um, show is live this evening from Tala. You're heading out? Yep, me and Nathan are going to be out there. So we are... Doing the news round, I think, with Richie later, and then we will be providing live updates throughout the evening. And then also, of course, there'll be loads of content uh, this evening and tomorrow morning on the podcast feeds and on social media with chats with players and post-match reaction. And 7am tomorrow morning for the latest episode of Koi Gig? Yeah, well, it's being recorded at 7am tomorrow, so it'll probably hit your feeds about an hour or two later, depending on how fast our producer Catherine uh-huh. is. But uh, oh. I'll also be back in here, so you guys can chat to me as well. <laughs> it's uh, 7.50, OTBAM is live with you. Let Lads got the ultimate shaver. Your money back neon edition is available now. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. Sue Ronan's going to join us at 8. Patrick Horgan is going to talk to us at 8.20. John Duggan at 8.40. 
We've got James Tracy with you, had to be there at 8.55 and then we'll play a half an hour of a pretty exceptional interview with Vincent Hogan who has stepped away from the Irish Independent as their chief sports writer after an illustrious career. He was in studio yesterday speaking with Joe Malloy. The whole thing is about an hour and 20 minutes and you can get that in your OTB daily feed. It's also in the OTB GAA feed. Uh, if you're only a subscriber to one or the other, then really you should uh, sort yourself out and subscribe to both of them. Um, some of the things we need to talk about, the Republic of Ireland centre-backs... At the moment, it looks like are likely to be on the move. Yeah, it's. I think it's important that they get a bit of bit of game time. Um, and, and like, y- you look at you look at the centre halves we used to have, Premier League starting centre halves, the likes of Richard Dunn. Like, you, you need to be playing week in week out. Nathan Collins is one, I guess, who's at least got a little bit of game time. Um, but yeah, to see them, to see a couple of players that are potentially on the move is so. What's the positive. story? Well, it's Darrow Shea, isn't it? That that appears to be heading heading off. Um, so, it, like, I guess the West Brom version of Darrow Shea, you were like, you were like, well, at least a little bit of game time. Um, you want to see players at least playing in the championship as uh, well. He was a he was a regular. He was captain on and off over the course of the season. Yeah, um, but, but then you look at some players like Jason Knight who are playing League One football and they should probably be playing in the championship. Uh, but Dara heading to Burnley, Vincent Company, like. I mean, not a bad centre half to learn from. I think it's great. So, so he has Premier League experience. Played twenty eight times for West Brom before they came down. And uh, talking with Phil and Stephen in the um, in the office yesterday, they were both making the point that he was exceptional in big games. And he's going to start his career at Burnley with a big game because they got Manchester City on the first day of the season. Not bad. Yeah, and if Company is making you one of his first signings as they're coming up, then that would indicate that he'll play. Um, and they did play with a flat back four last year. We could do with players playing in flat back fours as opposed to um, in threes. And the other thing that's happening is Nathan Collins has been the subject of two bids, mm. which have so far both been rejected by Brentford. Um, uh, the bids are by Brentford. Uh, they've been rejected, obviously, by Wolves. Yeah. But Wolves are in desperate, dire financial straits. And Lopetegui clearly has not wanted him as one of his first choice defenders now he did play the last two games of the season but I think that was just like give me a bit of game time here we're, we're safe and they were checking what they've got they'd be getting their money back a year on after what they paid for him and maybe making a profit of a million or a million and a half was the second bid so hopefully uh, Thomas Frank is wedded to him and is, is desperate for him and is going to stay there it looks like he probably will there's no other massive jobs available at the moment um, and I think that'll be a great move for him like they're a footballing side who, uh, despite being overmatched, like to play front foot football. Mm. That's kind of what we need from Ireland's Ireland players. Yeah. And Collins is good on the ball. I think, like, he, I think he's proved himself at Premier League level, hasn't he? Nathan Collins, like he, he got dropped. Yeah, he had, well, he had a difficult second half of the season. Yeah, but that's that's like so. This is a hairy moment. Yeah, but it, like the fact that even Brentford are showing interest, I think, will do wonders for his confidence. Like, and a manager like Thomas Frank, if someone's coming in for with bids like that, I mean. You'd hope that he gets that move, and, and hopefully, from an Irish perspective, he gets it. But um, like, he's still in a prime age, like Nathan Collins. He's he's literally at that age now where he wants to be playing Premier League week in week out. Yeah, he's only twenty two. Like, uh, the, this is the first tiny setback that there's been in his career. Like, I think if uh, everything had progressed the way we thought it was going to be, he'd be in. He'd be being spoken about as a potential. Uh, he'd be being bought by Wolves, uh, by teams who are better placed than Wolves, and actually. In a way, that's what's happening here. Mm. Like Brentford are still unfashionable, but incredibly well run. And I don't know, maybe they can have a similar season next season to this season. And if they do, ninth or something was it this year? Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, if, if we have more Irish players at those mid-table Premier League teams, teams pushing for Europe, I, I know it's a lot to ask for at the moment, but Nathan Collins is certainly one of those. You, you think when you look at the Irish team sheet that, that we'll be getting that get game time. And to see Darrow Shea getting that move as well, by the way, like that's that's amazing. Um, you you kind of see some players who, who get stuck in the championship doldrums and maybe end up as a championship player for their entire careers. But if, if he's getting an opportunity to come back into the Premier League and hopefully get some game time as well. I know maybe Vincent Company is probably thinking we just need to bolster up the squad, have some options in the centre of defence as well, but if Dara can burst his way into that uh, that Burnley team and uh, and get regular game time next season, that can only be a good thing from, from our perspective. It's so. also the thing of like you can't get on the pitch unless you're in the team as well, so yeah. like even the fact that he has the opportunity to go there, learn from company, show him what he can do, you know, there's a, there's a lot more chances to start some Premier League games than there is if he stays with West Brom. He also seems like a, a tough taskmaster. Like, company mm. takes no prisoners. You see that clip of him in the dressing room laying into players. It was one of the documentaries, wasn't it? Was it Burnley that went back to training like super early? They had like already yeah. some of their pre season was already done. I think it was Burnley. And I was like, Christ. Yeah. You give them a couple of weeks. <laughs> give the lads a bit of a break. Jesus. Um, so yeah, it, it's 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 definitely positive from an Irish perspective, and even heading into those internationals later in the year, the more players we have playing football. I know that'll be early in the season, but still. Yeah, I did think Nathan Collins talking about Lockpatagi last week was quite interesting. In that you probably maybe bitter is the wrong word, but you maybe expected him to have a bit of anger, a bit of frustration at the fact that he didn't get as much game time this season as he possibly wanted. But he was actually very reflective on the whole thing and said that on the outside, like, yeah, okay, it was tough at times, but he learned a lot and it's not that there's no animosity between him and Lapidegui because despite him not playing him, he was actually helping him in a lot of other ways in terms of uh, training sessions or, you know, conversations off the pitch. So... Yeah, it's the, an interesting one. Those bids as well. So the the first bid apparently that Brentford made for for Nathan Collins was twenty point five million pounds. That matched exactly as you said, Jared. What Wolves paid Burnley for him a year ago, and then the second bid went up a million and a half to twenty two million quid. Again rejected. Uh, Wolves have these financial fair play regulations as well that they have to sell players. Ruben Neves uh, is already gone to Saudi Arabia for a reported <laughs> forty seven million pounds. Yeah, close to fifty. So um, like <laughs> they're probably going to have to sell him. Uh, I don't know how many more bids Brentford and Thomas Frank are ready to table, but you would hope from an Irish perspective that uh, the next one is the, the one that gets it through. Yeah, and that this isn't a saga and that it doesn't take all pre-season and that he's not left in limbo a little bit, and you know, because that, that could easily happen here. So um, very quickly, just going to run you through the front pages of the papers. It's all it's all Vera Pau and the back pages uh, and the front pages of the sports section is running the rule, last chance for fringe players to book World Cup flight. Tommy Martin is asking if Liam Brady has fallen out of love. Is football truly gone? It was one of those things that Brady was on uh, the radio after he announced his retirement for a short interview and he just said, I've fallen out of love with the game. I was like, that's pretty pretty depressing really, isn't it? McKay benched as Pow gets ready for the final reckoning. The drop quote here is, let me be clear, I'm very happy in Ireland. Everybody can see that. I want to stay. So uh, contract negotiations have officially been paused. Is that the, the line? Yeah, that seemed to be what Vera was saying yesterday, that she was fully concentrated on the World Cup for now and that she didn't want anything to take focus away from that. Uh, Stand up for the girls in green is the back page of The Sun. Ireland versus Zambia, half seven tonight. And call back again, B's 22 million Nathan bid is rejected. So that was the story we were just talking about. And the Daily Mail have changed their line from yesterday when it looked like um, there was a debate about whether or not Stephen Kenny would be in charge for September. But today they're certain that he will be in charge for September. FAI hold fire, Kenny poised 
to get green light for September, uh, which I think was always fairly obvious. No one's going to uh, change the manager in advance of the games against France and Holland. It wouldn't make any sense. Like even in a badly run organisation, which the FAI no longer is, it wouldn't make sense to get rid of a manager and put somebody new in to get the team spanked twice with... Anyway, never made any sense. Mounting costs. United talking tough after a €58 million Euro bid for Mason is dismissed. Mm. Man, United on the phone just to add an extra €10 million. Literally, like, saga. It's going to be another saga, isn't it? That's going to drag on. But it, it sounds like personal terms have been agreed. Uh, Mason Mount does want to leave. So, um, yeah, you'd expect that one to go through in the next week or so. But it's football and it's Manchester and it's transfer. So anything can happen. <laughs> Uh, I think it all got swept under the carpet this is called Dennehy's story here with Olympian Jack Woolley on the attack that left him needing plastic surgery I don't know if you all remember but mm. um, Jack Woolley was on a night out and I think he was walking across one of the bridges yeah. in town um, when he got kicked in the face and he, he posted horrific pictures of it it was a random attack and he's making the point here in an interview with Carl Dennehy in the Irish Independent today that nothing came of it he never heard back there were no prosecutions on it and um, yeah it's pretty uh, it's not you know pretty scary it's not great that nothing has come of it it's not great that uh, it just completely disappeared he's focused on qualifying for the Olympics in Paris and um, apparently it's much harder to qualify now than it would have been previously the top six in the world rankings are in an automatic place he is currently sixth but five six seven eight are all really tight so we wish him all the best with that Um, I just want to take a moment Uh, so Anya aims to top the class. This is the front of the Tea to Green section in the Irish Independent. And it's Anya Donegan, who is from uh, Clare, plays out of Le Hinch, but also plays out of LSU, is the second Irish golfer who's qualified for the US Open after Leona Maguire. So the two of them are going to be playing in the US Open in a couple of weeks' time. She's back in Ireland. She's an amateur, obviously, at the moment, playing in college. And, uh, and her family are very, very proud because uh, she's my cousin's daughter. And it's an incredible ah, story. Nice. Could family links also played football underage for Ireland could potentially have been playing in the World Cup squad if, right. if she hadn't decided to go off and become one of the world's best young golfers one so. of these annoying people that's just good at everything it's a tough life yeah. making these hard decisions LSU by all accounts is like one of the best places in the world to go to college mm. so is it, um, it's in, is it Baton Rouge or is it Louisiana well, or it's, it, I know Baton Rouge, Rouge is in Louisiana but it's not in New Orleans Louisiana is the L for LSU yes. so I don't know yeah, um, yeah. I find out Baton Rouge springs it to is mind. in Baton Rouge is only way up only way up is for O'Shea. Ireland defender poised for a move to Burnley and Pau is facing a dilemma. That's about who she's going to drop. And then pretty much Ilkay Gundogan is the other big story coming from the English papers. Off to Barcelona for two years with an option of a third. What a time to leave your club. Surely Man City need him. Unless now this means that Declan Rice is back on their agenda. That was the thing that the Arsenal fans were a little bit concerned about. That deal isn't done yet. Arsenal could have swept in paid the price and now it looks like maybe City are going to come I don't know maybe they don't want them uh, Arsenal sealed 67.5 million deal for Havertz Kovacic to leave Chelsea for City and 30 million moves so uh, that's column in my ear as well going oh, they, they, Kovacic they don't need Declan Rice but they're, they're different players mm. Kai Havertz to Arsenal Kathleen a fan of that I'm not sure. Um, it's so funny seeing transfers like that. Like I remember working on his transfer when he first came to the Premier League. Uh, I think if Arteta thinks that he can get something out of him that previous Chelsea managers haven't managed to, then I think it could be really interesting. The XG is uh, not good. No, it's not. It's terrible. Um, and that's the thing that kind of scares me. I'm like, is this a lot of money to be putting out on a player who hasn't really proven himself in the Premier League? Especially when Arteta has been relatively smart, I think, so far with a lot of the transfers. 
Um, for that reason, I guess you kind of have to trust them, don't you? Well, see, that's the thing. And I know, like, Havertz has had his issues with various managers and stuff and in the way he has been played and that he hasn't really ever felt like he's meshed with that Chelsea team, which is kind of understandable considering how much toing and froing there has been since he joined. Um, so maybe Arteta thinks he can develop him and he can get that XG up. I'm sceptical at the moment of it and I just don't want it to be another situation where we're paying like 70, 80 million for someone who doesn't return anything. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. You can subscribe to the Formula One pod in our OTB daily feed. It is five minutes past eight this morning here on OTB AM. I'm delighted to say Sue Ronan, former Republic of Ireland manager, is with us to help us preview the game against Zambia tonight. But I guess, Sue, really, it's not just about the game tonight. This is officially the start of the World Cup for us. Hi guys, yeah, um, absolutely it is. It's uh, it seemed to be miles away the last time we spoke, but it's come around now pretty quick, and it's it's right on top of us. Yeah, it's the start. Um, it really is the start of the World Cup for us. Um, we're playing a, an opponent, an unknown opponent, really, I guess, in Zambia. Um, it's also their first time qualifying for the World Cup. Um, they're known as the Copper Queens. They're not the best team in Africa, but they're certainly one of the up and coming teams. And I know from speaking to people there. Uh, they do have high hopes for this team, you know, going on and and improving over the coming years. Um, but you know, we're obviously playing them because they will be similar style to who we're going to face, uh, uh, which are who are in Nigeria, who are the top team in Africa. Um, they'd be a similar style. The African teams all tend to play the same. They're all fit, very fit, strong girls. Uh, fast on the break, um, physical, they'd be in your face, you know. So I guess that's what one of the main reasons we're playing the game tonight to try and set us up to what we're going to face against Nigeria in, in Australia. And yet at the same time, we've been talking a little bit about this earlier on the show, it won't really be our full team tonight. So if if the result doesn't go our way, I don't think anybody should be too concerned about that just yet. No, they shouldn't. And I mean, I think Vera was quite clear last night in what she said. You know, she has a squad of 31 players. She needs to get it down to 23. And she wants to be fair to some of those players who, you know, she needs to see in, in a match situation. You can look at players all you like in training. Uh, and uh, but you need to see them again, you know, like some players will do great in training and it's they don't transfer that then when you cross the white line into a match scenario. And then some players are the opposite. They may not train too well and play play really, really well in the night. But, you know, she she had said she's going to look at players. There's a lot of players there now that I suppose it's touch and go whether they're going to make it or not. Um, she needs to look at those who maybe haven't got too many minutes in the past, but have been in the squads. Um, and she also probably needs to look at some of those that are coming back from injury to see where they're at. Um, you know, what, what sort of a low she can give them at this moment in time, what their recovery is going to be like. Um, so it's a big night for, for a lot of players. And look, while the result is not as important tonight, of course, you want to build a bit of momentum. You want to go into the World Cup with some wins under your belt. And regardless of who we put out tonight, I'll be honest, I, I don't see us not winning the game. You know, I, I think we're we're a really good team now. We're we're sort of well off the machine, as they say. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'd expect the players that come in will know exactly what they have to do within the team. It's not about them per se, even though it is in terms of getting selected, but you know, they're gonna play for the team, they're gonna know what their their role is, and I, I think we should be too strong for, for Zambia. Leanne Kiernan is one of those players, Sue, that you mentioned that's kind of missed the majority of the season through injury. She had the ankle injury, of course, uh, played 20 minutes, I think, for, for Liverpool in one of the last games of the season. Like, is it a risk bringing those players or do you, do you have to look like at someone like Leanne and, and just say, look, 
she brings something to the to the squad. She brings so much experience as well that you nearly have to bring her regardless. Yeah, I mean, they're the things that a coach has to weigh up, you know. And again, I heard Vera saying she had sleepless nights and you can absolutely understand that. And she will have more than before that squad is picked. And even after you pick it, you know, you're saying, have I done the right thing? If you do take a gamble on a player um, that has been injured, but you have to weigh it up, I suppose. And the likes of Leanne and other players, I mean, you, you are going to look at what they've done before and what they can potentially do. And, you know, you... you you still have a few weeks to go before that first game. You know, there's still, what is it, nearly almost a month, you know. So players like Leanne, players like Nia Fahey, who have been important members of the squad, um, Megan Campbell, you also want to make sure they recover fully from their, their injury. So whether they get as much minutes or not, I, I think it's probably more about the players that, you know, the fringe players that maybe haven't got too many too much game time and looking at them, see if they can do a job because you, you sort of know that Leanne can do a job. You know that you know, Nia Faye can do a job. So, but look, that's that's what the manager's there for. She has to make those tough decisions herself and her staff and it's, it's a tough time for everybody. Can I ask you a little bit about what your perception of the whole contract situation is? Um, Vera in the papers is saying that, uh, to be clear, she wants to be here, but equally that there's other stuff going on in life and uh, it seems like the FAI have said they're willing to talk to her about a new deal, but that everything is just paused now I don't know if the pause is going to uh, resume when the squad gets down to the 23 and then they'll just get a deal done or if the pause is until after the actual yeah. tournament itself. What's what's your take on where we are at the moment? Um, well, you, well, you see an awful lot with um, with managers in various sports. Um, it's happened with rugby, with, with um, Joe Schmidt. You know, it's happened with Andy Farrell, I think. You see it with different managers in football. They tend to get... Um, renewed contracts before they go into big tournaments, you know. So I, I, I'm not surprised that those talks are taking place. I'm not really sure what Vera meant by her comments. To be honest with you, I just saw them there late last night. Um, you know, look, she seems to be happy in the job. She seems to be enjoying it. Uh, obviously, the team are doing very well. So when when that happens, you you know you 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 want to try and keep that continuity. So whether it's just that there's lots going on at the moment and obviously the World Cup's the most important thing. Maybe that's what she means by putting on the back burner and not discussing it fully. I, I'm not really quite sure what she means, but look, at the end of the day, I'm sure it'll get done. If it's going to get done, it'll get done, put it that way. Yeah, I, like, I, you know, there's there's just a little kind of always caveat heading into a tournament before, uh, in, in football in particular, if the tournament goes horribly wrong, if something happens, then you end up with a manager. And, and But in this instance, it feels like we're in the middle of a cycle as opposed to coming to the end of a cycle, that actually the right thing to do would be to have continuity at least the way through to the next Euros. And so if she wants a deal, I don't see any reason not to do a deal, at least for two years. I wouldn't see any reason not to do it either, to be honest. Um, look, we've we've qualified for our first major tournament. You know, that's obviously huge success. And the manager has to take a huge amount of credit for that, uh, as well as the players, of course. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't see why she wouldn't be given another contract if she wants it. So let's see what happens, I suppose, or unfolds in the coming the coming days or weeks, or maybe she wants to put it on the back burner until after the World Cup. But I'd imagine she wants to get it out of the way and, and not have to worry about it. What are those conversations? So you mentioned them there a minute ago. Uh, talking to players about squads, obviously it's it's on another level. Uh, you know when you're when, when you're trying to have a discussion with a girl who's who's not made a World Cup squad, um, but that must be one of the most difficult aspects of management having those difficult conversations. 
Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, I suppose, uh, you know, put it in inverted commas, I didn't have the, that opportunity to have those conversations because we didn't qualify for a major tournament. But I have had to have, have difficult conversations, leaving players out of squads um, <clears throat> when they maybe thought they should be in a squad or, or you know, they thought they were fully fit to be in the squad. And it wasn't nice, you know, so I can only imagine what it's like now. It's it's heightened you know much more I mean this is the first time we've ever been to a World Cup it's taken so much to get there so it's really going to be a very difficult conversation and you see you know you're even looking at squads being named at the moment or even historically squads being named there's always a surprise in a squad you know and there's always there's always a surprise either way I suppose you know we look and say oh gosh I wouldn't have left that player out or 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 gosh I definitely would have wouldn't have brought that player you know so everyone has their own opinion but Behind the scenes, obviously, the management knows what's going on. You know, they know where players are at. They know what their form is like. They know how they fit into the environment on the pitch. Maybe off the pitch might come into it. You know, it might be nip and tuck between two players. And you might look at, well, who can get, who has more experience or, you know, is this player got more to offer in the future, you know, or is one player better around the camp? It might even come down to something as simple as that, you know, for the final one or two places. So it really is a difficult job and it's going to be a tough time. And I've spoken to two people who have been closely involved in national teams over the years uh, during my time and are still heavily involved in women's football. Just over the last couple of days, we're just chit-chatting about the squad and the three of us picked a different squad, you know, so, I mean, that's how difficult it is really to pick it. Um, but it's going to be a tough one. But again, I spoke to one or two of the players recently and they said, look, it would be devastating if we don't make the squad, but we'll get over it in a couple of days and get behind the team. So I think that's the calibre of player you have there at the moment in person, really. But it will be tough. It'll be tough decisions and, and tough conversations. Are there any significant changes, do you think, in terms of how Vera will approach this World Cup and the games themselves? I, the reason I'm asking this is because, you know, in Irish football history, there's always been this kind of weird convulsion in the build-up to a World Cup where we suddenly had to change our style of play to take account of, in America, it was the heat, and we went from uh, being stubbornly four four two to all of a sudden discovering four five one, basically the week before, and uh, and Tommy Coyne comes into the team out of nowhere. So I'm just wondering, is there any possibility that Vera Pau decides, actually, you know what, I'm going to go away from the thing that has... Uh, made the team so well, difficult yeah. to beat and qualify. You know, you never know really what what's in a manager's mind. I'd be surprised to be totally honest with you if she does change her style. Um, she has stuck with the same same style now for a long time, and it has served as well. In fairness, okay, it might not be the all out attacking football. We all we all want to see of Irish teams in general. We 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 talk about it with all the teams. But I mean, we're getting results, you know, and we're difficult to break down and we're good on the counter attack and everyone knows their role. So I would be very surprised, to be honest with you, if if she deviates from it. But look, you just don't know, I suppose. You, you don't know what's going to happen. And the, 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 we've got a tough group, as we know. We, we've got um, the, the host team who are, are going to be playing in front of their home crowd. A lot of expectations on their shoulders. They've got some great individual players, one of the top strikers in the world, and Sam Kerr. Uh, we're playing the Olympic champions, who are also a difficult team to break down. I mean, they won the Olympics without winning a match, actually, really technically, because I think they won all their games. Uh, they had draws in the group stage, and then they won the games, the knockout games on penalties. So they're also a tough team to break down. Um, and then Nigeria, who you just don't know what you're going to get. Like they'll definitely be de- defend in numbers, but they'll also attack in numbers, and they'll be good on the counter. But 
I can't really see us deviating uh, away from it. And, you know, tonight players are going to know what they need to do. And to be fair to those that come in, you know, it'd be it'd be unfair to ask them to do something different tonight that hasn't has only just been practiced in the last week. So I think we'll probably see a similar style tonight as well. And then in terms of the actual uh, squads that you and your two mates picked, is there anybody who's on the fringe of the squad who you think actually could catapult themselves into contention for a starting berth? Um, and you know, look, I, I'm not going to put any more pressure on players by saying this player should be in, this player should be out. I suppose we all agreed. Uh, one thing we did all agree on that there's one or two players there that I know are are have only are only come back from injury and they've they've been around a long time. And for us, they were they were on the plane, you know. But yeah, like one or I, I think it w- there will be surprise. You know, I, I definitely think there will. There always is a surprise in a squad. There'll be someone that'll make it. Maybe that we'll all say, "Gosh, I wasn't expecting that." You know, but I don't want to put any more pressure. To be fair, on the players' uh, shoulders because I think there's going to be enough pressure on them. Uh, I think let the let the decision be made between the management and the. Uh, and the, the the players, and then we we can analyze it later to death once it's made. And that's something. So you mentioned earlier that that perhaps people don't think of when it comes to squads and selecting players. The personality types, like as you say, when you're around a hotel and and you nearly forget that they're going to have so much time to themselves, whether they're playing pool or just chilling around and having meals. Like having someone with with a certain personality type that that brings something, as you say, to the group is is key yeah. at, at a tournament. Absolutely. I mean, there's a squad of 23 traveling. How many realistically are going to play in the three games and hopefully more games after that? Are we saying 16, 17, 18, maybe? We don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not going to be, Vera is known for not making a lot of changes. Um, and you're not going to be changing the team either. You're going to try to have your consistent, you know, first 11 and there might be 12, 13, 14 players in contention for that. And then a couple of subs. So, you know, the rest of the players, you want players around the squad that are not going to be moping around, that are going to, you know, do what they have to do for the good of the team, not themselves. They're going to be together for six weeks, eight weeks, maybe, you know, more, hopefully. So it really is important to have a good dynamic and a good group that knit together. And look, from what we we see in here, this group does knit together, but you certainly don't want anyone that's, you know, in there maybe that doesn't fit in um, off the pitch either, as well as on it, because it's a long time to be together and, you know, they all have to get on together, which, you know, it seems like they all do, but it is a long time to be away from home and cooped up together. Sue, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. No problem, guys. Take care. It's Sue Ronan giving us a preview of tonight's game against Zambia. A couple of quick comments for you from the Fountainstown Forlan, who hasn't been in touch in a while, uh, unless we just have missed it. Apologies if that was the case. Chloe Mustaki is a very impressive character. Easy to want her and her teammates to succeed. And then there's a random self-hating, uh, usual Irish negging football conversation. Oh, I told you, sir, Nathan Collins was a genius. Like, oh. <laughs> Thanks a million for that. We really appreciate. Jerry's <laughs> gone to sleep, folks. No, we're back. That's happened to and you. we're live. <laughs> I look. Yeah. Okay. We, we we like our players. We do. We hope they do well. We we talk about their positive aspects. Bill Belichick always says, don't tell me what they can't do, tell me what they can do, right? Mm. And so that's a good attitude to have about sport because it means that you maybe actually like spending your time watching this thing as opposed to constantly going, oh, well, that's shit, isn't it? Oh, well, they're crap. Oh, well, they're the worst. Oh. Like, really, is that the way you want to live your life? Is it? See, we're, we're Irish, Jer, so we love misery. Like, the, the, our, we don't, our, though. We hate misery. Well, we love wakes, we, don't we? We drink ourselves away from the misery to forget about the misery, and that just makes us more miserable. We love, we love grim things as a country, don't we? Like, that, that, it all ties in. 
just it's our natural identity it's our nature it's our Catholic guilt it's the cups of tea at wakes I don't know how we get onto this conversation but bottles of whiskey by five o'clock in the evening every bastard there was pisky there you go do you know but it all ties in we can't can't have fun things if we say something positive about Nathan Collins Jesus we're the worst people in the world I just said he was the new Andrew Van Dyke thanks uh, Connor Joyce thanks for that yeah I'd like to hear where we actually said that as well. I'd like to. I'd like to show us where we exactly said Nathan Collins is the next Virgil Van Dyke. I mean, look, he's fantastic. We probably did hype him up, of course, because he's he played really, really well. He's yeah. got he's got all of the accoutrements to be a really top Champions League level centre back. He's twenty two and he's had a setback. And if he was to go to Brentford and get in that team as that manager's choice to be the centre back of the f- that would be brilliant for him and like why shouldn't we be excited about that I make no excuses for make no apologies for being excited about young Irish footballers coming through why wouldn't we be what's the whole point of this thing yeah 22 by the way it's to escape from the misery yeah all, all, all the- misery guts here Dr. Death <laughs> a format is that myself yeah yeah that's, that's, my, that's my job I have to bring up the death on the show uh, no I, like, and I think you'd nearly forget that Nathan Collins is 22 by the way because he maybe looks a little bit older, he probably carries himself as someone who's a little he bit does, older, yeah. and he's and he's been around Premier League squads for a couple of years now. So uh, we we sometimes forget that these guys are kids uh, in many ways, and Evan Ferguson is one of those. So we will give them time, but why not hype them up and have fun with the sport? Uh, I, look, I, the hyping people up who aren't worthy of it is a very a jingoistic trait that we would f- certainly criticise in uh, one of our near neighbours for example so I, I don't like I don't we didn't hype Evan Ferguson up we got excited by the fact that he's really really good yeah. and I think it's legitimate to get excited about anybody who's making it in the Premier League at the moment because it's so bloody difficult look at the money that is slushing around in the Premier League they can literally sign any player from anywhere in the entire world and now it turns out Saudi Arabia can do the same uh, oh. Jamie Carragher on Twitter this morning is complaining about the fact that um, Marca are reporting, according to a, a website I've never heard, Transfer News Live with a, a blue tick. It's blue tick on Twitter. It must be real, Jamie. It must be real. So they're saying that Bernardo Silva is on the verge of a move to Saudi Arabia and uh, Carragher is uh, losing his mind about this mm. because he feels like, um, I was okay when it was the outlads, but now it's like good players. <laughs> well, yeah, well, Saudi's taken over football and football transfers is hardly a surprising thing, is it? Given what's happened in sport in recent years. Saudi have taken over golf, the big boxing fights, and now they want to take over football. The sports washing needs to be stopped at Premier League, at UEFA. Um, Trying to bring out his inner Gary Neville, I think. A bit, a bit late, though. Gary Neville got the he got to the top of the mountain first. He did. Planted his flag and he's beating down anybody else who comes there. Yeah, nobody remembers the second man up to climb Everest, do they? Well, it was uh, Evan order. Hillary, wasn't well, it? Well, if Hillary was first, technically. He wasn't. He wasn't. He always te- yeah. I mean, he definitely wasn't first. He clearly was not first at all. <laughs> yeah, he was the Westerner. Yeah, basically. exactly. I mean, yeah. he's the white guy. Yeah. First white guy to do it. Is there a special prize for being the first white guy? Turns out there is. They yeah. name a lot of shit after you. Pardon my it French, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Buzz Aldrin possibly is a better reference. Yeah, yeah. He definitely was the second man on the moon. Yeah, you do remember him, though. True. Yeah, I definitely do. The NASA sticker on my laptop. Uh, OTBAM live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Edition is available now. Um, right. Uh, it's 23 minutes past eight. I'm delighted to say we have Patrick Horgan with us this morning. Patrick, good morning to you. How are you? How are you? How are you getting on? You're, uh, you're um, making some fibre deliveries for Virgin, are you? Yeah, uh, that'll be on the 27th in Patrick Street in Cox City. We're going to be giving away thousands of yours worth of prizes in... Uh, in 
boxes of cereal, basically. Very good, very good. That's the job. Uh, technically, of course, I presume you'd be prefer at that stage to be preparing for an All-Ireland semi-final as it would have been. Um, so are you a good spectator over the last couple of weeks? Are you enjoying watching hurling like the rest of us? Uh, not really, no. Uh, it was a bit kind of tough for us the way we kind of went out, so um, kind of trying to stay away from it as much as I can now for a while and uh, maybe to the end of the championship, maybe the All-Ireland final or something, I might have a peak at, but uh, it's, it's a bit sore at the moment, so I kind of just try to leave it off. Um, you must have seen the scoreline when Tip walloped Offaly at the weekend and I know you're going to be reluctant to answer this for fear of the way that people might take it up but does the championship structure make sense that a team like yours who were so close to going through up until the very last few seconds aren't in the championship when teams from lower divisions are then catapulted in? Uh, well I, I, I haven't thought of it that way I kind of see it like we knew before the Munster Championship started that, you know, the top three qualify and you're either in then at that stage or you're out. Um, how close we got, like, we're talking over days, like, because, you know, it was like a puck of a ball over the course of three games where it made us qualified. But, uh, yeah, like, for us, we we knew, like, what was the, the situation before it even started. So we just didn't do enough to qualify and... Um, as competitive as we were, like uh, kind of wasn't good enough from us. Like we needed to, we needed to be better on uh, certain kind of areas, and that's something to work on, I suppose. Is it more of a signal that it feels like the team is better now than even sometimes when they've managed to get through the qualifying system as difficult as it was? That it felt like everything was clicking towards the right direction, but just the competition was more fierce this year. Yeah, um, like we were as fierce as it we were like as good as anyone in that championship we we know that ourselves as well like and the way we applied ourselves all year like um i don't think we let ourselves down in in any game over the course of the whole year so uh that's something to be positive about going into the new year i suppose uh before we wouldn't have got that consistency in performance uh throughout the season and i think the season just gone while we didn't qualify we were like pretty consistent throughout and um that's like a, a really good thing that you can kind of say look we got we went through a whole season. We didn't play we didn't play poorly or like dip our performance in any game. Maybe ten minutes, fifteen minutes here or there, but overall we were competitive through the whole season, and uh, that's really good. So that gap, Patrick, between your, uh, Limerick and the rest, or perceived gap, I should say, has that narrowed in the last year or so? Like it, it appears, Limerick. I suppose everyone had them on a pedestal in recent years. Everyone said, "Oh, sure, they're just a bigger team. They're physically stronger men and all the rest." But that gap seems to have have narrowed. Looking from the outside in, anyway. Yeah, definitely. They were like, they were like, really, they were unstoppable for a few years. But uh, there's no gap now. Like, I suppose it's just coming down to, uh, you know, one puck of a ball, one play, one uh, missed pick, one straight to hand, one missed hand pass. It's it's that it's that small. And uh, unfortunately, this year in two important games, like uh, two little things happened, or a couple of little things happened in either game that you know swung it in the opposition's way. And, put us out do you pay any attention to what um, pundits say like you probably have a bit of time now as you say you'll try and not maybe watch that much hurling but do you you listen to the punditry and the analysis around games maybe more so now than than when you were a younger Uh, hurler no I wouldn't um, and it's not because I don't want to listen to the fellas on it because they're obviously uh, really good at what they do but uh, yeah I just try not to watch because um, 
I just don't want to kind of have, I don't want to form my opinion about like uh, opposition or uh, what other people think like, and you know, you could be leading into a game then uh, against that opposition and you're thinking differently about them because of things you've heard. And so I try to stay away from all that. The, the the 2023 you had like I remember you, you talking about the the decision to bench yourself for the All Ireland quarter final against Galway last year, um, and, and I suppose the impact that had on you and it probably gives you a kick up the backside as well in some ways. Like, do you see that as a as a turning point, something that's that's nearly prolonged your career in some ways, maybe? Uh, no, um, I'd always be kind of the way of uh, I'd be trying to improve myself all the time, whether that's like hurling or physically, and. Um, that was no different either last year like I applied myself absolutely the same way I always do it's just I suppose um, you know when you're not when you're not every player is the same like and every player needs to be uh, confident and someone needs to instill confidence into them to you know that the people that are going to choose you to play have confidence in you and that's a really strong um, strong thing and that's one thing that we had uh, throughout the whole year this year I suppose everyone was Everybody couldn't have a complaint with, like I suppose, uh, getting encouragement uh, from everybody else within the panel, and um, that's a good place to be. Did the shape of the team change significantly this year as as the as the season wore on, and even within games, did you become more flexible as a as a group to try and get the most out of where you're strong? Um, I'm not really sure how it happened. Um, I just think that with a lot of uh, kind of new fellas, you could call it onto the panel uh, early on in the year, and they all started getting chances early on in the year, and they started taking them. And then there was fellas that were injured were coming back, and all of a sudden, like I think we had like two, at least two per position that were really strong in that position and really putting their hands up to play. So, like that that drove competition within the panel then, and I suppose it was every training session then was like. Look, this is a this is a trial basically to get on the team, and that's literally the way it was. There was like forty fellas uh, throughout the air just driving on, and like you could have put any fifteen on the field. It, it did feel a little bit like the team got to grips with what the from a tactical perspective. I, I want to go back to there was a league game I think against Limerick, and uh, Limerick started lights out, looked amazing, but it felt like at half time something changed, and um, you became more aggressive with a press as a forward unit and suddenly everybody was more in the game and it, it felt like the analysis afterwards was oh Cork wanted it more in the second half but then remember I think it was talking to Anthony Nash afterwards like actually there was a subtle change there which allowed the forwards to be closer to the uh, Limerick players in possession and that unlocked something in the team did that happen? Um, I don't know possibly but on the night when you're playing or you're in a game like there's so many little things that are going on, like, you know, do you actually push up and leave space behind or do you kind of fall back and hope the amount of passes that the defence have to take to come out, they kind of uh, mess one up. And sometimes it's just, you don't do anything except just get a small bit more aggressive and I suppose just close down the ball. It just, sometimes like the opposition could be like so good. I I remember uh, Limerick in the championship, was it last year? First game of the championship, we were told we weren't, we weren't um, pushing up like uh, fast enough, but we didn't get a chance to push up because they were so good delivering the ball, you know. Uh, and other times, then you you push up and they drop the ball and they would say that's great pressure, but uh, it's all like it's all just 
bits and pieces that are going on in the game and that's just what it comes down to. So it's not a trend. He doesn't feel like it's um, something that you collectively worked on, but it's more uh, situational. It depends on the current... I guess what I'm, what I'm asking here is I, that, like, you know, it felt a little bit like it was on purpose that you were doing that, but obviously... yeah. 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 Well, well, probably what we were doing, we wanted to start off doing, and we just weren't doing it. So <laughs> that could have been the that could have been the reason as well. We probably got a a bit of a shove on to to get going in the game. Like we probably weren't in the game in the first half. Uh, but I suppose the the one thing we kind of put a lot of emphasis on, like the year just gone, like is uh, the just the effort that we put in, like and everybody putting in the same effort and uh, just wanting the ball back, I suppose, and. Uh, after that, like you'd be surprised, a lot of things kind of fall into place. Like if you go about that hard enough, you know. It's funny, like you you, you probably spend hours. You could read uh, column inches and and listen to interviews and analysis, Patrick, about about those things, the small details of 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 in game tactics. And yet, I suppose for yourself, when you're involved in it and 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 you're literally in the moment, you're probably on a different plane of consciousness in some ways. When you're in the middle of a championship game, like you probably aren't really thinking about it's it's more reactive, is it? Uh, yeah, when the ball's around, definitely you're just reacting. But um, I think it's good sometimes to just uh, you know take a couple of breaths and realize like where you are and uh, the important things that need to be done at that time. And uh, you know you can be running around like a headless chicken for the day. Like, but I think sometimes um, you know it's just kind of good to set yourself and what needs to be done next and uh, go and do it the best you can. Like there's a lot of young hurlers in that Cork squad this year compared to last even as well, and a lot of a lot more coming through when you look at the twenties teams and that as well. Like does that does that give you extra motivation in training as well? Because you, you kind of look at them and they bring that hunger and desire that maybe you would have had back in back when you were coming into the team at first. Yeah, as I said, there will go. Uh, like they all come onto the panel and they're training so hard and they're so like curious about how they can be better players themselves and. Um, like that's very strong. Like you know, when you're on a panel of forty, and everybody wants to be better. Like so, you you're kind of landed with you either want to get better or you want to go home. That's basically it. Uh, and like they all were, they all came in, started playing games, and straight away they just took to it straight away, which is not easy to do either. And um, yeah, it's, it's great. Like training the whole year has been brilliant, um, and it's just that's that's just a good environment to be in when you have forty players that all are going into one direction and want to be as, as best as they can be. What's sorry, what what's your role within that then as one of the more experienced players? Do you feel conscious that you have to help them acclimatize or do you feel that actually uh you can't patronize them and say oh you need to do this this and this but actually going out and just demonstrating what what how do you approach that? Um I I think we're all kind of uh close enough like um that we all speak to each other and I said there to someone yesterday that um, we've trained, like, say, at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday, Thursday night or whatever, and uh, if you're not in the field by 6, you're late. So that'll tell you the kind of level the fellas are at. Um, and I suppose when we're on the field for that hour beforehand, like, a lot of fellas talk and, uh, you know, you get around fellas in your own position and see what works for them, what works for you. And it's kind of a back and forward thing, like, and we're taking little nuggets I suppose from, from each other the whole time and uh, yeah it's good it's, it's good now to, to to learn that way everybody you know and then specifically your role on the field you were talking about everybody needs confidence what gave you confidence this year about what your instructions were and what your role was on the field during matches um, I suppose for, for me 
uh, personally, it was just, um, you know, like sh- keep showing for it. Like there's only a couple of things you can do in your position that you always do. And um, one of them for a full forward is like uh, showing for the ball, taking on your man, uh, closing down the opposition. Probably three three things like that you focus on. And then the other things like a ball will break, till you pick it, you hand pass it off or whatever like that. But uh, you're kind of in the game if you do the, the first two or three like. Uh, Patrick, we're, we're probably blue in the face talking about rule changes and, and, and the state of, of Gaelic games in this country and the attack and mark in Gaelic football, certainly for one, and even the, the I guess the weight of the slitter, the colour of the slitter, all the rest. Is there anything in Hurling at the moment that um, that you'd like to see changed or that you'd be unhappy with as a player? No, I think, to be honest with you, no. Um, like you couldn't you couldn't touch Hurling like looking at it, no. Um, and even the slitters, I know you mentioned the slitters there and I was the first fella like, to... To give out mad about them there last year because they weren't they weren't up to scratch. But I'm not. I must say, the slitters we used this year were a lot different and easier to use. Um, and they were actually they were they were fine. Weight wise or color wise or both? Uh, I'm over the color thing now. Like, but I just the feel and how they how they fly. Um, are you know that they're important? Like how the ball flies when you hit it, or like you know when you're guiding a ball. Like I found. The, the old ones you couldn't guide them you didn't know what way they were going to go like um, but I think these ones there's a, there's a slight bit of giving them so you can kind of feel the, you can feel the ball on the boss when you're striking it and you can kind of guide it a bit better Must be important when you're taking freeze as well like that those little tiny minutiae of the, of the, of the skill set is, is so important like you need to not to get all philosophical but become one with the slitter almost yeah, like you see, fellas, like how the way they the way they fly the ball, like so if they cut across it, I found like the last couple of years, even watching oppositions taking freeze, like from far out, they'd cut the ball, but when they cut it at the left, say a post, it would go left as well. So like that, there's no confidence there in in any uh, slitter, like you know. That's fixed. You can cut it, it goes left. Like you're in big trouble. Like. And is that fixed now? Do you think? Yeah, the slitters this year have been really good. I have to say it. They don't travel as far, like, and that's fine. That was probably the, the main aim of, of them coming in. But um, I do think they're a lot better now this year. Um, one other thing that I need to talk to you about. Uh, we're, we're given to understand that uh, TJ Reid will continue to hunt you down at the top of the scoring charts until he gets there. Is this something that you're interested in or aware of? Because it, it's one of the great battles in modern Irish hurling history that you're definitely a part of whether you like it or not yeah, um, yeah I suppose it's a, it's a nice thing to be involved in like isn't it um, a lot of scores there but um, yeah like he's probably he's probably one of the best players ever to play the game like and you know I'll battle it out with him there for a while if he wants and I'm sure we'll I don't know what you know he's still carrying on he probably is not on a semi-final and final to play in it's good for him and it's good, for, it's good to be a part of that, I suppose, that's all. 46-year-old Patrick Horgan against 45-year-old TJ in 10 years' time. <laughs> He's actually older than me. Oh, is he? All right. <laughs> yeah. So That came very... That, you knew that very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> that's because everyone's on about my age. There's no one on about anyone else's age. <laughs> so you've plenty of time left then. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm, I'm grand away. Uh, but the scoring thing does matter like it's uh, Ireland not great at this like paying attention to stuff until eventually somebody goes off and does the maths like hang on a second this is actually a really interesting story here you know two generational hurlers who've gone at it 
for the best part of over a decade at this point and we're we're privileged as sports fans to be watching this what's that like to be in the middle of um it's good i suppose but the only reason i kind of want to be a part of it is because it means that in indiv- in an individual game that i'm playing next i just want to score i just want to do like what i'm supposed to do and score so i don't really think i'd say it'll be a good thing to like look back on and say oh yeah that was like that was class at the time or whatever but at the moment for me it's like um yeah, I just want to carry on tipping around and playing and try and score what I can for the for our team uh, every match and see where that lands me. Yeah, like and I, in a way though, this one I think everybody is allowed. To, you know, it's a team sport, but ultimately your job is to score. You're in the full forward line to score as heavily as you possibly can, and you have to be as ruthless as you can. So it's not like it's one of those. Um, oh, I need to put the team first. You, you, by putting the team first, you are scoring. That's your job, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's what. That's what. That's what any forward has to do, really. That's his kind of primary role to, to score and show off the ball and win the ball and score. That's that's basically it. Do you find the extra little bit of attention, Patrick, on the pitch because of your, your scoring exploits as well? Like, I'm sure we, we see examples of sledging in, in the game and at different points and it, it probably focuses in on you, I'd imagine, in the Cork forward line. Um, not very little, actually. Um I always wonder how footballers get the time on the fit pitch to talk to each other, but we like hurlers actually don't speak that much. Might be an odd line here or there, but it could be maybe funny more than anything. Like I don't, I don't ever remember like getting into any big conversation, you know, because the ball is coming too fast. You could get the ball from the goalkeeper now when you're on the full foul line. So if you turn to talk to someone, the ball could be there, like. Well, listen, uh, thanks very much for joining us this morning. I think you might enjoy the quarterfinals and semifinals if you could bring yourself to look at them. The, the game we'll is see. pretty good at the moment. <laughs> we'll see. Horan's fine, yeah. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see. Good stuff. Thanks a million. Keep scoring. Cheers. Stone, thanks. It's uh, Patrick Horgan there, locked in a celebrity death match with uh, TJ Reid at the top of the scoring charts. Um. I, I think it's one of those things that we should be celebrating and getting stuck into. Yeah, it's the G- I think we've had this discussion before. The GA record keeping probably could have been officially better than it than it has been, but at least with this one, we're not looking back in ten years' time going, "Oh, they actually were locked in a battle," but we didn't realise it at the yeah. time. So it's good to to be invested in it right now. Uh, okay, uh, John Duggan's going to join us in a little while, I think. Uh, yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, Cameron is here because we haven't talked about the uh, Champions and Challenge Cup draws. We don't need to pay any attention to the uh, Challenge Cup draw because there's no Irish teams in it, obviously. So, nope. This is really a Champions Cup draw. Unless you're a real rugby hipster and you're just going to watch it anyway. Well, that that would be you, will. but yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, interesting draw for uh, all the Irish provinces. Um, so, Connacht are in with Lyon. They've a visit back to Pat Lam. Um, nice. with Bristol Bears they're in with the Bulls Bordeaux Saracens um, Ulster have probably the toughest of the lot in that they've Harlequins Rossing Bath and Toulouse all in the same pool in pool 2 Munster have Bayon um, Glasgow Exeter Toulon and Northampton but um, I think the pick of the pools there is pool 4 Leinster have the Stormers uh, Sale Sharks Leicester Stade Francais and um, La Rochelle right so that's that big a yeah. little old La Rochelle who no one no one respects yeah the small team out on the Atlantic coast so that's that's quite tasty well this is always the, the risk that Roger and La Rochelle ran at losing to Toulouse at the weekend like you were always going to be oh it comes back to bite someone had to get Leinster I guess mm. as the second seeds didn't they they did yeah you could have given Ulster La Rochelle again that would have been funny but um, 
yeah, it's quite tasty. I'm putting my hand up right now. If anybody wants me to go over to Bristol or Lyon or any of the places, I'm I'm happy to fall on that sword. Okay. The, um, uh, not to go into the politics of it all, but obviously the English and French rugby clubs ruined this competition with their nonsensical approach to it. And so there are fewer games now. And so although there are four six-team groups, you don't play everybody in your group. No, 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 no. So uh, the fixtures are still to be announced, but... Uh, there's six teams in each group, as you say, but you only play, you don't play the one from your own league. So let's take Connacht, for instance. They will not play the Bulls because they're also in the URC. So you've got Saracens, Bordeaux, Bristol and Lyon coming up. And we don't know whether those games are home or away yet, but you only play a team once. There's no home and away fixture. So it's a complete lottery. So you play four games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And two are at home, two are away. Yeah. Right. So Leinster could have La Rochelle at home or away and they could have Stade Francais at home or away or they could have Leicester at home or away and they could have Sale at home or away. Absolutely. Like the sensible way of doing it is that you have one French team at home and one away. But I mean, judging on how they've revamped this form, I don't think (laughs) EPCR are interested in doing the sensible way of things. I am not a fan of this format whatsoever. I cannot see the point in playing for last 16 places which have been the bane of the tournament for the last couple of years they're so unexciting they ruin the momentum towards the actual good games I, I don't know what they're doing with this to be honest alright ok Cameron good stuff uh, an excellent explainer thank you very much we didn't uh, we didn't fall into the Kevin Caban Nations League mm. well so if the draw so if you come out first and if you're if, you're hop, if that ball's hot and, uh, uh, anyway not uh, quite that far yeah uh, Shifty Lad wants to ask Has anybody watched Ride to Survive? It's the best thing Netflix have done Better than Formula 1 In my opinion Tough going Peloton waits for no one Hearing good things about this Haven't seen it yet um, But apparently is it, is it's it called Ride to Survive? Uh, I, it must be I haven't I hadn't seen any of it Just the Tour de France documentary Everyone's calling it Yeah I think that's, uh, that's uh, So maybe that's Maybe Ride to Survive Is a little uh, moniker put on it by the, by the commenter We'll find out But uh, yeah, and it really apparently gives an insight into the the life of some of those cyclists who are involved in teams, and their sole existence and reason for existence is to help, of course, the the top one or two cyclists on the team. The domestiques. The domestiques. Tour de France unchained. Tour de France unchained. Yeah, unchained. Un- unchained. Okay. Off the chain in it. See what they've done there. there Bikes go. chains. Yeah, very good. So yeah, that's on the list for sure. All right, uh, John Duggan, eight forty six. Good morning to you. Morning, Jaron Shane and Cameron was never seen again. Yeah, gone. Credits will do. How are you? Good, yourselves? Not bad. What's going on? It was the longest day of the year last night, which is great. And we have the Zambia game tonight, half seven. Republic of Ireland women's team against a team that's also qualified for the World Cup. So Vera Powell wants to see similar style of football to Nigeria, who is going to make the 23-strong squad. She'll obviously see a bit tonight. Katie McCabe will be rested for that game, set out, which is great. Uh, Leon Maguire, who is going to win a major, and it's a case of when, and I'll slip in a virtual insanity 10 each way on around 22 to 1 for this week's PGA Championship in Baltusrol in New Jersey, which starts this lunchtime. We know she won last week, the Meyer Classic in Michigan, 21 under par. I was just looking at her trajectory. She was 177th at the end of 2020 in the world rankings. Now she's 12th. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yes. 20 years of age from Cavan. And she's got Shane Lowry's former caddy in the bag, Dermot Byrne. And I just feel that 
The Solheim Cup was a huge thing for her in terms of arriving. We all arrived. The great stars in the world arrived. Remember Brian O'Driscoll and the hat trick and that kind of thing. And that was her arrival as a rookie, four and a half points out of five. And she just has, in my mind, the mental acumen to be a major champion. And she has five chances. There are five women's majors as opposed to four in the men's game. And the great thing about the women's game at the moment is they're going to really good courses like Baltus Rall hosted US Open, USPJ in the past for the men's game. And the US Open next month is Pebble Beach. Mm. So these are the types of classic courses I think Leona Maguire will thrive on. The course is a bit long this week, which might not suit her that well. But all other aspects of her game are very, very solid. And she's ninth in strokes in the scoring average this year on the PGA Tour, LPGA Tour. It's a very competitive tour. It's It's got a lot of deep, a uh, bit like the men's tour at the moment. Anybody can win. Maybe 20 to 30 players can win a major. But Leona's right there. Second L- LPGA title, yeah. As soon as I think as soon as you break the duck and get that first one over the line, you you kind of... The, the water just comes through then. You just She's, she's going to push on and I don't know how many she's going to finish her career with. But if she continues on this trajectory and as you said John I think mentally she's unbelievably strong I know she probably has sports psychologists and all that behind her as well but when she speaks she clearly speaks with someone who doesn't really carry the weight of, of her expectation That's her amateur career being the number one amateur in the world and she already has top 10s in majors top 10 at the US Open and a tie for fourth at the Open Championship at Muirfield last year so it's it's really exciting I think it's really exciting and we have Stephanie Meadow in that as well not to forget her Rory McIlroy, Shane Lowry, Seamus Power all playing in the Travellers Championship in Connecticut this week. That starts today. Tom McKibben, who we know won recently, is involved in the BMW International Open Munich, one under par. And what else have we got? Nathan Collins and Dara Shea potentially on the move. It seems as if the Collins-Wolves journey might be coming to a close. From a financial fair play perspective, I think they need to sell a few players. They already sold, obviously, Ruben Nevis to Saudi Arabia and Brentford have come in with two bids for Nathan Collins who if he ended up in a defence with Ben Mee could be a good thing for him were they at Burnley together I'm trying to think off the top of my head and we have obviously Darrow Shea now going to be a teammate of Josh Collins at Burnley because he's got a medical today it seems like Chelsea are having a fire sale at the moment and we're obviously into silly season with the back pages now for the next couple of months but it'll come around quickly folks won't it by the time we're uh, enjoying the dessert of the Women's World Cup the Premier League will be on our shores mm, it will it's creeping up there how did you spend the um, summer solstice summer equinox Colony Bay which is this beach down the south of Dublin beautiful so I kind of like it's quite near my home so I, call it, I, I walk it a lot you don't do any hippie stuff kind of no hippie is the, I'm, I'm the opposite of hippie whatever the opposite of hippie is I'm not a hippie I'm you're, a, you're, your inner hippie will start coming no, out over the next few no. years that's my prediction no Jared, it'll, it'll never happen it'll never be more than a three or four day stubble. They get a, there will never be anything but five star luxury in my life. Duggan skinny dipping in Dublin Bay. I'm telling you, inside the next five years, guaranteed uh, to happen. Well, there's a thought. Well, we'll, we'll see. Might be like Johnny Ward's uh, Instagram life is very much dominated by three things: swimming, cycling, and food. Mm. My my sister would be into that, a lot of that heavy stuff. My older sister, and she'd be. Uh, was it, I think there was one summer solstice or summer equinox where we were home in Monaghan in recent years where she had a fire pit at the back and you just wrote down things that you wanted to let go and um, threw them in the fire. It was very, very, I have to Hopes say. Hopes of winning the All-Ireland? Possibly, John. Possibly. 
<laughs> Whatever the opposite of thrown into the fire. That's the Instagram world is amazing. There's a guy called Connor Wilson. I don't know if you follow oh, this guy. Amazing. This guy. This guy. Yeah. I just feel so inadequate every I know, time I look at a, his, yeah. his he, stuff. He works for Primetime. What does he do? He's the world's best barbecue. Oh, right. It's, it's sensational. Just, it's like three days out, he's making food and you're like... How do, I, how, does it even, how do you even begin? I've put on weight looking at it. <laughs> yeah. You follow the American guy, John. I saw you sharing his stuff. Oh, barbecue, Big Jake. He's like... Hey, everybody. The most Southern, the most Southern man. That's where it's at. <laughs> but it's amazing too. So yeah, if anyone wants to check that out. But his voice is incredible. Uh, the accent for The me, food yeah. is extremely unhealthy, which is probably a... Yeah, uh, that's the slight, slight downside here. Uh, but it, it's, it's amazing the phrases. It's amazing what marketing can do. And there's another guy called All Time Hawkey. I don't know if you've seen him. He's got about a million and a half you, right. uh, uh, views on uh, TikTok. All Time Hawkey. All Time Hawkey. Got a million and a half followers on, on Instagram and He's got two dogs. He lives in Upper Michigan and he lives one of these kind of wild lives. Oh, and yeah. he plays like 80s video games and Game Boy and stuff. And it just, you kind of feel that kind of, what's it, ASMR or something? Yes. That's the, yeah, that's the. Autosensory yeah. meridian response, not, uh, yeah. I don't know what Jerry called it that time. Autoerotic asphyxiation. Auto asphyxiation. <laughs> which uh, is a different thing. Well, last got today, uh, Aidan O'Brien, Emily Dickinson. <laughs> Segway. Segway. In the Gold Cup, uh, 420. Willie Mullins, the man. Looking to bid to win the prize <laughs> with Echoes and Rain as well. So from old time hockey to Willie Mullins in six degrees of separation. In less than 60 seconds. Uh, Chef's Table Barbecue, that series on Netflix is unbelievable if you're into your barbecue stuff. Uh, right. it, it just feels like I, I, it would take me about five years to do what that guy does. It just looks impossible. I can't speak, so you, you should, <laughs> you're going to speak, sorry. You should get him, I'm sure, just, he'd give you a lesson. Yeah. Uh, right. All right, lads. Anything else, JD? Uh, unless there's nothing missing in that mad, wild tangent. A slight tangent. <laughs> this comes to OTV. It was, just, it was the like, segue to Ascot for me. Like. Be like the rival tangent, a slight tangent. It's kind of the, the rogue version. Yeah, thank you very much. More from John on Saturday afternoon on Off The Ball on News Talk. If you're still using the old Off The Ball app, you need to get the very latest version as the old app will soon be retired to pasture to make way for the new shiny thoroughbred. If your app hasn't already updated, hit the App Store or the Play Store now or see OTB Social for direct links to update. Some highlights for from the OTB Podcast Network for you today. The latest F1 pod with Shane, uh, Vincent Hogan in conversation with Joe last night and uh, the Gaelic Football Preliminary Quarterfinals Preview. Wildcard weekend, baby. I mean, it's just right there for you if you want it. Uh, after the break, James Tracy's You Had to Be There. First, Vincent Hogan talking about Roy Keane. I've written so many pieces about Roy Keane over the years and I've always said, you know, my, my biggest problem in journalism was that if if Roy sneezed I'd get a phone call to do a two page spread on Roy. And I've I know I've, the feeling. I've often been accused on social media, my God, you're so obsessed obsessed with Roy Keane. Right. I honestly, Joe, would not have written a single line about Roy Keane in twenty years if I could have got away with it. I don't find Roy fascinating as a pundit. Um, I find Roy um, kind of just playing to almost to satire yeah. you know that he's just endlessly cross and endlessly intolerant of people around him but he's doing exactly what he said he wouldn't do um, but I, I still would say that when he wants to be he's he's very intelligent funny yeah. I would have thought any time you've written about Roy Keane it's because you're fascinated by him no. as opposed to you got a phone call no. I thought in 93 they said you, you could do what you want no <laughs> well that changed obviously I didn't do it well enough <laughs> OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.
Um, yeah, so we're over with the family in uh, in Greece at the moment. So uh, yeah, it's a slight upgrade from uh, sitting beside you two with Julia. <laughs> ah, don't and the weather looks terrible. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not not one for for lying out, so I'm uh, taking solitaire in the shade as usual. Okay, well, we're glad to distract you from um, from the difficulty of finding shade in the Greek sunshine. The, so, um, <laughs> yeah, people know the premise of this at this stage. You pick five things that. Um, I've lived with you and, and stayed with you and kind of got you out of your seat. The first one, though, I want to start with from in, in sequence here is all the way back in the year 2000 when Ruby Walsh won the Grand National for the first time on Papillon. And uh, people probably remember this, but loads of people are probably too young to remember. But it was actually, it was his father, Ted Walsh's horse. And that was where the, the drama and I think the emotion of the whole thing came. But for you, it was a very local story. Yeah, incredible. So, like, Ruby Walsh, uh, I grew up in, in Kill Village in Kildare, and uh, Ruby Walsh was the, you know, one of the, the main cities, one of the, the biggest stars to um, come out of the village. But, uh, you know, the Grand National is such a big deal in general, but to have someone who grew up up the road uh, riding in it with an, a real chance on his father's horse and the... Uh, for anyone who watched the race, very like dramatic finish. He, he looks like he, he's got to win. And then uh, he, he ends up kind of finding a, a second gear with, with about um, with about half a half a furlong left, and, and, and wins it by about um, about two lengths. It was uh, unbelievable. And then what unfolded from that? You know, our primary school is going nuts. Everyone's going nuts. But they brought uh, Papillon. Actually, they do it in this day and age with health and safety. Papillon came into the schoolyard. Everyone, like I said, it was about a thousand kids all around. In fairness, it was probably the calmest horse in the world. Um, there was a huge parade uh, up the town. There was people coming out from the from the local, hopping on his back, like riding out the dummy, riding out the finish. How there wasn't an accident, I don't know, but uh, incredible memory. And and um, they're they're well and truly a massive part of of the village. And it was unbelievable to see Ruby be able to get it done for his family and, and also um, for Kill and um, for his father. Yeah, because I, I think like most people would have grown up watching Ted as an analyst on telly. And sometimes you forget that actually he was still an active trainer the whole way through that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's, it gives a feeling of, you know, there's a lot of like horses are a, a big thing in Kildare, especially horse racing. And uh, it's the feeling of, you know, someone who you you know winning something that you think is so unattainable, unachievable, um, and it gives beliefs to kind of like the next generation. Um, so that that's the the amazing part of it. But for for us, the, the crack and, and the excitement of of having um, someone who you know you see at mass, someone you see in the shop. And they're winning kind of like one of the hardest things to to do in, in, in horse racing. You know, it's kind of like the you want to win a, a gold cup, you want to win the, the Grand National, you want to win the Irish Grand National. They're they're the kind of the big three in uh, in jumps racing, um, especially from, from where I'm from. Were you into racing automatically in advance of that? Did that get you into racing afterwards? 
so uh would have been everything horsey so uh, my sister would have uh show jumped uh internationally and, and uh we would have hunted and uh we would have went to the races you know like punchestown was a and mace race course was was part of our uh, our dna and our, our yearly schedule so uh anything to do with horses we, we were kind of i grew up uh, around it and uh yeah like every weekend was we we're at a show at a meet at a hunt it was uh it was everything like that and the grand national like a staple probably of your of your house growing up regardless but to see someone from your county winning it like that that must have been so special yeah it was unbelievable um the as i said the crack the village like i was far too young then i was nine years old so i wasn't on the points but uh i i don't think there was uh there, there was there was any kegs left on tap by the end of the weekend. Uh, it was unbelievable for for the village, and uh, yeah, he's he's a sporting legend in racing. But uh, for Kill Village, uh, it was a it was a big day. So did you say there was lads just running out from the pub, hopping on the horse, and reenacting the end of the race? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so loose. But I think, uh, it, like in reality. If anyone uh, would have known the Walches, or like, like I wouldn't be surprised if those lads maybe had worked in the yard, or yeah. I'm sure they weren't just letting randoms, you know. But you know, I'm nine year old kid. Obviously, I'm just seeing these random lads coming out of the, the boozer as he's walking up and hopping on the horse and like doing the the whole thing. Uh, so yeah, no, it was great crack. Um, but yeah, it, it was uh, one one for the memory book, all right, and a, a special day for the village. If you hadn't got involved in in rugby would there have been a an interest in a career in racing or in show jumping or in horses so I certainly didn't have the frame to be a jockey but uh, show jumping uh, John I I I, 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 I show jumped uh, from uh, and hunted from about six years old up to about 12 and uh, I was never any use at it, but I enjoyed it. So, uh, you know, I used to just tag along and do it, but it was never something that uh, kind of caught my eye, mainly because I wasn't good at it. But uh, I, I definitely enjoyed it. If your sister did it for Ireland, she must have been pretty good. Yeah, yeah, she was all right. She's handy. She's still pretty good. But yeah, I, the the benefit was in, in, in ponies is that uh, it's kind of done by age and... Uh, depending on the size of the pony so when she'd move on to the next level I'd get the hand-me-down so I'd be quite competitive when I got the hand-me-down at the lower levels but that was all that was my cheat code unfortunately uh, when I tried to jump at the 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 next step up in the elite level I was I was way off but uh, I had good crack doing it and I loved loved hunting as well it was it was good fun okay Uh, yeah it was the the second one that we have on your list is actually also uh, in Kildare, not that far away. I'm fairly sure it's at the K Club. It is. It is Roy McElroy winning the Irish Open in 2016. Yeah. So again, it was one of those moments where I didn't anticipate. You know, I wasn't there to. You know, I wasn't following Rory, or I wasn't. You know, there. Uh, you know, like Ruby, where I had the same attachment, but. Uh, we'd managed myself, my wife, a girlfriend at the time. Uh, we we're only we we're going out a little while, but uh, we went down because it was it's only up the road from where I grew up, and uh, we'd blagged our way into the clubhouse somehow, and and uh, we're again blagged our way on onto the the balcony. You, you see that iconic shot uh, that he takes, but when, as it unfolded, of course, my wife's at the bar. I, I'm now knowing that the like the he he, he was two behind going into sixteen. I, you know, so I kind of prick my ears up of what's going on and uh 
He's about two fifty three out, I think, and and hits uh, a five wood. They actually they have a plaque now on the fairway where he hit it from, um, but hit, hits a five wood to about three feet. And it was one of those moments where you just know, okay, this was something special. Um, and it was him, you know, he he's already, I think he was 27 at that point, so he was well-known and everything like that. But I think he was coming into the, the peak of his powers and he was just, he was amazing to, to watch. But yeah, just seeing that live, glad I didn't turn around and follow my wife to the bar and miss that iconic moment. But uh, yeah, it was just one of those golf moments and sporting moments where everyone around was just like, wow, you know, like... When, when everything's on the line, um, I think he, he might have been one shot up, but he, he was definitely one behind going into 16. I think he, he might have eagled that and, and given himself uh, a bit of a jump on the scoreboard, but everything on the line, um, two, 250, whatever out, and putting it to nearly a, a tap in. Tap in for him anyway, definitely not for me at three feet, but uh, it was incredible. When Shane Lowry won the Irish Open, obviously in the rain, he was an amateur and we weren't, we didn't quite know what an amazing career he was going to have. Harrington had obviously won it in the meantime as well, but it was still kind of when the Irish Open was slightly off Broadway. McElroy coming back to it and it being at the K Club had that bang of big event feel. And so for him to produce his very best in front of the Irish crowd, when we were all talking ourselves into, oh, it's so difficult for the Irish golfers to come and play at their very best. I think it was a real kind of okay. This guy, look at that talent! Like it's 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 obscene levels of talent that we we see on TV, but he's actually doing it in front of us. That's the special bit I think about it. Yeah, and and um, I haven't watched it back. Uh, you see how much it means to him as well. You know, like he's he's proper fired up for every big moment that he had. He was properly fired up, and I loved. I love that that McElroy, you know, he used to bomb the drive down and he'd he'd walk past his partner and he'd stand at his ball. You know, he was such a dominant force in golf. Uh and he still is, you know, and, and uh it's been amazing to, to watch his journey and, and have someone Irish be that prominent in a in a sport that's clearly global and so difficult to be in the top one hundred, never mind in the top ten. Regardless of the fact that you're in a in a team sport, James, you must take little modicums of I guess enlightenment and and you know things from from individual sports people like Rory that that maybe you, you look and say well Jesus that clearly their mentality as you say going down going down the stretch three holes to play when the pressure is most most on at his home uh, open you know you must take things from that yeah definitely I th- I think a lot of professional uh, sports people love playing. Um, golf and and uh and tennis and if, if you're there, like individual sports because it really hones you in and it gives you that same kick of you know you're accountable for yourself on this so it gets the juices flowing from that side of things and and especially in golf you know it's just you versus the course um it can be very humbling i've been humbled a million times over by, by the golf course but uh yeah we have a few handy golfers and answers so we had uh we had good fun uh, over over COVID when we had a bit more time to play and a, l- a lot of lads kind of stuck with it and got the bug. What is your own game like? What are your strengths and weaknesses? Uh, a lot of weaknesses, not many strengths. I think uh, that'd be, <laughs> that'd sum it up. Is, uh, is Sexton the best golfer? Uh, uh, he's definitely top five. Oh, um, I think Frawley, Jordan Larmer, uh, himself... Dan Sheehan, 
and who else? Uh, there'd be there'd probably be about ten or eleven lads who'd be single figures, and the lads I named there would be below by in around five or below. Frawley pick up golf. That's sickening. Go on, Frawley. I know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's another one. So Ig- Iggy could be off too, maybe. Uh, but yeah, himself and Frawley, I think, could be the lowest. Frawley only picked it up. We played a, a golf scramble. Uh, and, and he never played before so we had him ranked fourth so anyway he hopped in with the guys who would have been uh, you know a couple two low handicaps and one mid range and he was the, the dud and the lads romped home by about seven shots and we were kind of like she's like seven winning by seven shots is a crazy thing so anyway uh, he, he starts he's like oh I'm actually alright at this thing starts playing and uh, within a year he was scratch now he's, he's come back I think a little bit since then but uh I've never seen someone take to a sport like he did to to golf, but yeah, the Burns, sorry, the Burns, Harry and and Ross are also very handy. Um, yeah, there's, there's a there's a lot of decent decent golfers. And post retirement, there's no injury issues. You can go back and play, and there's been no long term. You're you're you, you've no excuses when you're playing golf now, do you? No, no, I'm still using the children as an excuse, but uh, that one's, yeah, but I wasn't good before I had them, I wasn't good before I had the, the injury, so I've, uh, I've plenty of excuses in the back pocket, but uh, yeah, they're, they're wearing a ten of my friends anyway. Jeez, when, when you're listening to the names of Leinster players out that are decent golfers, I could love to see a Leinster versus Munster charity golfing event at some point, I mean, people would pay to see the likes of that, but you think they're competitive on the rugby pitch, I'd imagine on the golf course it, it wouldn't calm down that much. Sure, we could sort that out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. I think we get that going. Uh, right. If any charities out there want us to to do that on their behalf, we'd be more than happy to. Well, let's move on to some rugby ones, okay? So the the first one we have here is Jacob Stockdale's Chip and Chase against the All Blacks in the Aviva. Tell us about this. Why did you pick this? What year is this? Twenty eighteen. It says there, seventeenth of November. Yeah, I just think. Uh, have you, I'm sure most people have seen the the still uh, uh, shot from above of uh, Aaron Smith hanging out of his legs um, as he's kind of dotting the ball over the line. But I think it, it was just for me a real turning point. Obviously, we we'd beaten them in Chicago, um, and that was kind of a you know a massive point in Irish rugby history. The biggest probably turning point in Irish rugby history. Um, but I wasn't there for that one, so I, I I couldn't have that one in there. I was a whisker away actually. I uh, I got pulled in the the training session before uh, we we went to get on the plane. I was going to be a, a, a traveling reserve, and, uh, and Connor Murray had a tight calf, so they brought Luke uh, Luke McGrath instead. So I missed I missed that one. Didn't get to witness that one. So this is my next best beating them at home. Um, but I was just. For me, the, the skill level of Jacob Stockdale's, he's probably the best uh, chip and chaser uh, I've ever seen in my time anyway. His ability to do it uh, and really gather the ball. I'd love to know the stats on it. I genuinely can't remember him uh, unless he gets blocked. I can't remember him not regathering it on the other side of the fence. Um, I think they did, they did a five-man line. They've run, I've seen other teams run the play since. But what they were targeting was uh, the New Zealand backfield and uh, how quickly they, they kind of left the where the, the line outside was. Um, Aaron Smith was kind of covering in behind in the chip space. So it was thrown to Sexton. He does a switch with uh, with Bundy, who throws a phenomenal pass to, to Stockdale on the run. And he's left with uh, Brody Retallick uh, in front of him with Sam Whitelock. So a, a tough enough chip to get it over those two uh, tall fellas, but does a great job. 
uh, always seems to get the bounce and that's the testament to his strike and how much he must practice that uh, that action uh, and anyway sits up from he tears on and, and he takes him to the house and I think uh, it was 9-6 at that time and, and you know jitters everything it was 47 minutes into the game that's that's when you kind of get a bit of separation the belief starts to build you're at home and you're on to to win at home on Irish soil against the against the All Blacks 2018 Jacob Stockdale was just something else James wasn't he like that the levels he reached were iconic Un, unbelievable and like he had so many huge moments I think in, in over probably like a four year period he was he was one of the first names on the team sheet and and uh that moment anyway will live with, with me forever I think if you were to give me a moment from Chicago which I wasn't there for it would be the Henshaw try with the scrum play I think Zebo does an unbelievable chase on a kick um, leads to like it was a, it was a, a scrum I think they maybe knock it on force a knock on uh, off the scrum Jamie Heaslip uh, kind of runs sideways and you're thinking what's he doing here um, and he does a switch with Henshaw uh, who, who does unbelievable to, to finish it from there and he dots it down over his head and that was kind of the moment we knew we, we were going to win and uh, have that moment so uh, yeah we've, we've had a lot of amazing times uh, with Irish rugby recently and, and uh, it's just great to, to appreciate it and, and, and take them all in and, and as I said I wasn't there for, for that one but I was there for the Stockdale one and, and that one would kind of live with me of like you know, we can actually compete on the world stage and, and uh, we are good enough to do this. You talk about the likes of Rory McIlroy down the, you know, what, three holes to play, you know, hitting a 253-yard drive. But similarly, Jacob Stockdale with, what, half an hour left in a game against the All Blacks with so much at stake. I think it, the game finished at 16-9 in Ireland's favour, uh, according to the graphic we had on screen there. So the game's in the melting pot. And to, to even conjure up an idea to do a chip and chase, never mind execute it, at that point of a game yeah. is, is something else. yeah. Yeah, so so uh, he he tried chipping earlier in the game as well and got blocked down. So having having the confidence to uh, to back himself again, like mm. that would have been a set play where they would have known that the, the space would have been on in the backfield if everyone did their job. And it's about executing it. Like as he said, the you know you're all in. It's either it works. Like Brody Ritali could easily catch that and run the length of the field. He's a he's a freak athlete. So. Um, it was incredible show of confidence, ability, um, and just setting that like tone and, and getting the momentum going for for uh, Ireland as a as a nation for uh, our rugby side and uh, like what crack you know the, the the lift it gave everyone this like the TV was absolutely hopping after that moment because it's as as I said a little bit earlier it's it's actually that we can actually do this you know we we can back it up and and. Uh, we can beat the All Blacks, who, who for so long were this uh, unbeatable force. Stockdale was 21 or 22 then. He's still only 27, so there's still plenty of time for him to get back to that form. Is it possible that the injuries are, are past him now and that he can actually begin to come back to that level of, of athleticism and bravery? 100%. I, I think he's so many attributes. Um, and like sports, it's funny... It can it can be the best thing in the world, and it can be the worst thing in the world, and and you know injuries um, are, are just a part and parcel of of having a, a pro career, and it's how you navigate through the the highs and the lows, and um, having the right people around you, and setting yourself up for success. And and listen, he he was the best, one of the best wingers in the world. He's one of the 
for that period one of the best Irish wingers of all time of course he can he, he's done it so like of course he can do it again it's just finding that um, finding that spark inside himself and, and getting his confidence going again and it's momentum um, from there on um, and he's such an asset to have in, in a team even never mind his attacking side of things but um, just his kicking alone he's an absolute cannon um, of a boot which is in, in in the modern day it's very very important to be able to exit well against big teams and get down it's a territory game Did you ever have the audacity to uh, try a chip and chase James in your story career? Uh, not, not, quite, not quite a chip and chase I had a very sad almost very good kick uh, against Cardiff I come over the back of the line out I think it was they were on our 10 maybe I'm going to say our 22 but it was actually the 10 and uh ball comes over the top I catch it uh, and I, I boot it now 50-22s didn't exist back then but um, I'm running anyway after it and it looks like it's going to dribble out but it doesn't and uh, oh the, the winger his name just gave me Welsh winger um, anyway I'm thinking he's not going to cut. And, he's not going to get in the touchline side here there's only about a, a half half metre of space he's going to try to go open so I'm standing waiting for him to go but anyway he beats me up the touchline side so from going from like being able to get him out after doing my only ever kick pretty much in their 22 he then kicks it uh, a banana kick from his 22 and it rolls out our 5 metre line and so I now have a defensive throw from the 5 I'm just like for God's sake like what a clanger almost unbelievable and then the biggest clanger ever left inside fast so yeah, it does. It does. So that was my uh, one of my only kicks, and uh, I don't think I'll be. I'll be. I work. I think I won't get a chance. But I don't. I never was bold enough to do it again after that. And I'm sure nobody ever brought it up either. They're they're good like that in change rooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that one's forgotten very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, and will be forgotten forever. Um, we actually have one of your games. You played in the first game at the new Aviva when they reopened Lansdowne Road. Um, this was one of those fixtures where it was a combined Leinster-Ulster team versus Connacht-Munster slightly uh, unevenly matched sides it has to be said in reflection yes uh, but at the time like um, yeah I don't know who, like who picked who'd go with who but at the time it, you know we, we thought we were going in for, for a war and uh, it didn't turn out that way you know we ended up winning by 80 something points um, but yeah unbelievable to be uh to be part of the, the first kind of you know the new Lansdowne Road um, and I think a few like a few names have kind of kicked on from then to have good pro careers as well and, and one for the pub quiz is Craig Gilroy um, scoring the first ever try in the in the new Aviva Stadium um, Paddy Jackson kicked a crossfield kick to him and um, he finished it well and yeah Craig Craig uh, he also is probably another one for a public. He's probably the only player to come off the bench and score a hat-trick. Uh, he, did, he did that against Italy in the Six Nations um, and never played for their country again. Uh, he's uh, He was an unbelievable finisher in his time as well and um, an incredible player to play with. But yeah, he's in, for the pub quiz, he's the first ever player to score in the, uh, in the Aviva Stadium. So I have, a, I have a butterfly here who's making friends with me. There you go. It's all right. Um, I thought you were in your stomach thinking about it, but no, it's an actual <laughs> real butterfly. So um, the, this is the uh, official opening of the stadium and they wanted to make sure that there was a game played before the national side played. I think that was part of it. 
um, and I'm just looking through the team. That, that, so you win 85 nil. Uh, from your perspective, what was the level of excitement about being involved and being picked and being asked to play? Like, where were you at that stage of your career? So I was still playing loosehead then. So I would have been um, very, like, very, very early on. It was just, it was an exciting time to be part of. Of one, it was a piece of history of the first game there, but also very unusual that you were like joining with a province you know it wasn't like an Ireland camp where you've kind of all the different provinces you're just joining with one province you're trying to uh, like mesh everything up together and then go on from there but um, yeah no it, it was it was great fun it, we, we had um, you know uh, a lot of guys you know Ian Henderson was playing that day um, I'm trying to think there Andy Warwick on, on the other side there was like Loads of guys who went on to kick on to play good professional careers, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't say they probably remember the day as fondly as I did. It was it was fairly uh, fairly probably the, the hardest part was running back to the halfway line every every couple of minutes because <laughs> the likes of uh, Craig Gilroy and, and uh, Andrew Boyle and a few others, Sam Cockler Murray were uh, were tearing it up, and and yeah, it was one of those easy days to to be a forward. And a few, few good pals of mine, Mark McGordy, I remember at the game of his life, he went on to have a, a great career with UCD. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a special one. I see Tig Leader's name um, on the opposition. He obviously is involved in uh, getting all those Irish kids over to America to play yeah. uh, American football as kickers. So um, that's a, another interesting career. Uh, when, who tapped you on the shoulder and said, right, you're going to be a hooker now? Well, how did that happen? That was Josh. So I uh, I was in my or co- going into my final year in the academy, and uh, like realistically, well now in, in retrospect, realistically, like I, I didn't have the frame, but that was what he said to me. Put me into his office, and he was like, uh, you know, uh, do you want to play for Ireland? That was the kind of first line, and I was like, yeah, uh, of course. And he said, well, it won't be at Loosehead. Uh, you don't have the frame. And I think you should move to hooker. So I just said, uh, okay. Um, you know, you're what, you know, you're, I was a bit, bit shook anyway, kind of talking to the head coach or a young fella, but he was like, I think, I think you should move to hooker. Um, you know, you, you will have a chance of doing it there. So, uh, that was it. I started throwing that day and, um, within probably, I think that, so that would have been going at the very, very start of preseason coming in at the end of preseason. I played my first game um, against Munster in a preseason uh, game at Hooker, and, and uh, kind of went from there. Now, I, I think I've told you before, I was I probably wasn't comfortable with the ball going out of play for about three years, maybe probably five years. Uh, but it was a you know without him, I wouldn't have had a, a career. So uh, he gave me my first cap also and my first Ireland cap. So uh, owe him a lot. He moved me position, and he uh, he, he gave me the opportunities. Um, so yeah, very very lucky to have had Joe and and uh, for him to kind of steer me in in the right direction. It's interesting that that it's not surprising that that Joe Schmidt had those people skills as well because so many uh, coaches over the years could just pick their favourites, move on with them, uh, and use them in games. But at least he came to you and said, "Well, he was honest with you, I guess, and told you what you needed to do to have an international career." Yeah, and and listen, it's uh, I'm not the only one to have done it. Uh, like if you look at the, the bench and uh, that amalgamated 15 uh, you'll see Dave Heffernan is a sub back row uh, for that game so 
he he also went through a, a similar transition um, and has has had an unbelievable career uh, for Connacht and Ireland. So um, it's it can be done, but it just takes. I'm sure he'd say the same. Um, it's it, it's probably a lucky one where it's it's practice, 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 um, and and you can get there. But yeah, very very lucky to have had like. But um, he's now the principal in Newbridge College. Uh, Pat O'Brien. He, he actually moved me into the forwards. I was playing scrum half for the for in Nace Rugby Club for for the year before I went in, and um, he was patting me on the shoulder and he's like, "Listen, you can you can play scrum half, but it'll be for the D's, or you can play in the forwards, and we'll have you in the A's." And I was like, "Yeah, I think I'll play in the forwards." So uh, he was the first one to to kind of start moving me forward and then I slowly got moved more further and further for, uh, forward into the front row uh, that was kind of the next pat in the back was uh, Derek Sherlock another uh, teacher of mine uh, he was kind of had the chat with me been like would you like to play junior cup in the second year I was like yeah yeah of course I'd do anything and he's like you do anything I was like yeah and he's like well you're going to be playing the front row now so I was like okay so I moved from scrum half to flanker to prop within uh, within two years and uh, I haven't looked back since just don't tell the parents until they actually show up to watch the match. Like, I didn't see it. I was in the front row. That was a secret. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. In a way, right, I know you, you talk about being uncomfortable with the ball going out, but having the loose head skills and, and understanding about the possibility of carrying, presumably that was something that separated you from some of the competition that you would have had as hookers who'd been hookers their whole time, focusing just on technique. I know now, obviously, you look at Dan Sheehan, He's a bit of a freak, but Keller also a bit of a freak. But you would have had the the dynamism of a loose head to bring. I guess that's I, I'm trying to in the positive side. The the negative is obviously the lack of throwing experience. But in the positive is that like there is more dynamism inbuilt in your game. So I'd say one of the main things that helped was as a loose head, you go into every game and you're, you're almost having an individual battle with the tight head. It's you versus them. Now, the whole scrum is obviously part of it as well, but it's it's a lot more individual than, um, say, hooker, where it's more of a collective. You're more the glue in the middle of the scrum um, and you're trying to set everyone up so you we can all attack versus uh, your, your loose head versus their tight head and your tight head versus their loose head is a lot more of an individual battle. And I loved that part of it. Um so it took me a little bit to stop being selfish in the middle at hooker. But once I kind of realized that and realized that I'd kind of set everyone else first and then I could be part of the attack. Uh, and, and, and and it made then, you know, um, some of my favorite parts of and memories I have from, from playing the game were big scrum penalties. You know, like uh, I, I said before that I love scrummaging with Keen Healy at Tighthead as well. I loved Lamelusa, but Tighthead because I knew, you know, he he wasn't as experienced at it, but he wanted to go. He wanted to attack, right? No matter what. So it was either it was kind of holding them back more than anything else. But the satisfaction out of getting a, a scrum penalty in a big moment, like you just can't beat it because, especially in hooker, it's because you know it's group effort and there's a lot of little things that have to go right for you to to do it. Um, but I had, I had that probably ingrained in me from from playing loose head and, and loving that one on one battle um, against whatever tight head I was playing against and uh, yeah and, and really getting up for it every time it was a scrum you knew you were looking at the, uh, your opposite tight head and you knew it was go time. Yeah, that does sound particularly enjoyable when you put it like that. Uh, the last one we have here is um, James Ryan's first touch in professional rugby being a try for Ireland against the USA. I think people have kind of forgotten about the fact that 
James Ryan is one of those few people uh, in history who played for Ireland before he actually played his, his first full game for his province. This is all the way back in 2017. Incredible. So I think uh, Gordon Darcy did it as well. Uh, I'm not sure. Do, do you know if anyone else? Uh, is there anyone else on that list now? It's a very, very, very short list, I'm I sure. Think, so we... I think Bod, uh, I think, played for Ireland before he played for Leinster. I'm not sure. He certainly played for UCD before he played for Len- uh, Ireland. But I'm fairly sure. Was there, was, did Brian just go play? For? I don't know. We, we looked that up. I thought it was. I th- yeah. I thought you would know Darcy, better, I suspect. But, but go on, yeah. No, I, uh, well, yeah, I think it could have been Darcy. I'm not sure about Driscoll. Um, but when he when he came into into Leinster and Ireland camp, there was just there was a feeling about him that this guy was something special. And, and uh, you know, I remember chatting chatting to a few of the kind of the backroom staff about him. You know, because he was he came in, and he was he was a kid. You know, he was this big, huge frame, but he was you know he was a scrawny kid. Um, and he was so raw but his attention to detail straight away and his understanding of the game and, and just his uh, just had something about him there was just an aura of something special but like he didn't like he was very unassuming there was no like he wasn't strolling around camp or strolling around Leinster he was he was, he was like a student of the game straight away and he was very inquisitive um, you know, to to people that he looked up to, he'd, he'd always be kind of trying to get little insights and, and little things of, of uh, that he could learn. But absolutely incredible to to think that someone like I'm can't was he was he nineteen twenty maybe when uh, when when he did, but like to for your first touch ever in professional rugby to be a try, uh, it's just kind of set the tone for, for where he's gone since then and I think he's probably the most complete second row in the world right now and I say that from looking at his statistics uh, you know like his, his tackle statistics are for, for the last season were about 97% uh, just to give you like a benchmark like anything above 91% in most things will be world class you know if your throwing was 91% uh, if you're if your carry of getting over the game I was ninety one percent. Usually that's kind of ninety one percent. It's kind of the baseline for if you want to be world class at anything. If you can get over ninety one, he's got about ninety seven with his tackle. Um, his his rook would be it'd be mid kind of ninety three ninety four. Uh, his rook effectiveness is he's probably one of the most dominant tacklers out there. Um, in the last kind of year or so. His lineout would be in and around the the mid nineties, around ninety four, ninety five. He's he's just and he, he, how many balls does he steal in big moments? I think I think that's probably something we we've taken for granted with him because he just keeps doing it. Is that he probably comes up with two, definitely one if not two big moments, a game where we're we're back against the wall and he'll come up with a huge lineout steal or lineout disruption. And I think having himself and Peter Romani. In uh, in our line out defence is is just something that makes puts a lot of pressure on opposition hookers and callers because you know unless you get your drill spot on you get it in the right area they're going to get a hand to it and then your 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 attacking uh, opportunity is going to be gone. Yeah, I think uh, most Leinster fans would say it's fair to say that we wouldn't have lost the final if he'd stayed on for the whole game, but not to open old wounds here. <laughs> Oh, listen, yeah, and and he, the sad thing is, we'll never know. But 
he was having an absolute stormer as well. You know, he, he was he was probably the best player on the pitch. I'm not even just saying that because he left. He, you know, he, like his last moment is him smashing Will Skelton. You know, like he's usually takes about two or three people to to stop him. And uh, and James had he'd smashed him a couple of times already in the game, and he'd put in a few dominant hits on other guys. But uh, he's in the in the midst of putting in a huge shot on him, and and catches a stray knee, unfortunately, and and that's his game over. Uh, on the grief curve, I'm now. I've decided that uh, them losing is going to drive them on to great things at the Rugby World Cup, and Leinster have just taken one for the greater good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got to spin all these things into into a positive, and, and uh, you you got to bottle up that grief and and use it for good, and uh, that's all you can do. Unfortunately, when you when you lose, especially in in a final, you have to just find a way to use this fuel. Um, but back to to James, I think. We're so lucky now to have like a few like generationally good um what well, second rows one but um just players in general and what a time to be an Irish supporter coming into this World Cup you know like get you have the option of, of uh you, you could have like Byrne and and um and himself in there you you, you know you've you've Henderson who you know I, I think people forget about him because he's probably had a bit of an injury run um. He's been one of Ireland's stalwarts for the last maybe eight years. So, uh, like, unbelievable player. Um, he's the kind of guy, he he gets through a ridiculous amount of work. And you don't really notice it until you watch, like, the video back and you look at his stats. He's he's unbelievable. And another man to come up with a big moment. Um, and, yeah, like, we're, we're, we're lucky to, to have this sort of strength and depth going into a World Cup. And so we, we've uh, had it checked. Um, I think Gordon Darcy turned down the opportunity to play for Ireland to do his leaving cert in 1998, which would have meant he was capped beforehand. He didn't make a senior bow uh, for Ireland until a little bit later and then played for Leinster the next year. But O'Driscoll did play for Ireland before he played for Leinster in 2000. Sorry, not in 2000. But okay. By that stage, it was 98, I think, was the, his... 99, Bob. 99. Yeah. Yeah. 99, he made his debut. Yeah, so illustrious company. Oh, yeah, wow, very good, yeah. Uh, that is it's 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 nothing short of ridiculous but uh, like you look at the the three lads that you just named there and, and yeah they're generationally good players and uh, yeah there's no denying why they got the opportunity when they did because you just got to get these sorts of guys in and, and get a feel of, of international rugby get them comfortable in the environment and, and start building them as leaders um, but yeah fair play to uh, to well, it wouldn't be hard to see the talent and, and have the foresight to bring them in, but um, fair play to the coaches that you know did get them in early, and and um, we all got to reap the rewards of of having them part of the the Irish and, and Leinster setups. James, great stuff. That was a brilliant version of you had to be there. Thanks a million. We we'll let you get back to the sunshine. Cheers. Good man. Thanks a million, lads. We'll chat to you soon. Cheers, James. It's so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. I had to be there. Yeah, you can get uh, all of the You Had to Be There's in the OTB Daily feed. It is 9.35, OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.